Hey everybody out there in internet land, it's your boy Vaughn Johnson and you're about to listen to our very special episode of the Straight Shooters with the Blue Meanie. Now, in the beginning you might notice a little bit of technical difficulty. That's because I had an issue with my mic. Now, we usually record our show with, you know, one program and then we had a little bit of technical difficulty there. So we switched over to another recording device and in the switching over, I forget to fix, I forgot, I should say, to fix my settings with my microphone. So in the first 20 to 25 minutes or so, uh, my audio sounds a little bit rough. But bear with us. Again, it's only for the first 20 to 25 minutes. I think it's 25 minutes of the pod. But after that, I come through nice and clear, just like you hear me right now, because I got my microphone settings uh, fixed and ready to go. So the majority of the show, it sounds just like our usual quality, but we apologize for the first 25 minutes or so. Sounding a little bit rough on my microphone, at least. You know, Nick's microphone sounded great. Blue Meanie's microphone sounded great, but mine's did not. But bear with us, like I said, and we apologize. But once you get past that, it's a great show. So please bear with us. Join us for our deep dive into WrestleMania 15 and enjoy the show. Oh, Radio Universe! It's a new day! Yes, it is! I am Vaughn Johnson. You got me mad now. You know, you got a back nickel. Feeling good. Well, the skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. We ran the back nickel in the arena. With my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick Bacone. That's me. I don't know where the kid is that was a riding it, but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring. Tomorrow, I'll you can kick your face off. I'm down with that. Kick your But I don't like it when things aren't going my way. Don't you dare be sour! Woo! Woo! He don't know nothing else. <laughs> you know that wrestling. Well, he know that wrestling, boy. <laughs> give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! What is up, ladies and gentlemen, out there in internet land, and welcome to episode 278 of the Straight Shooters. My name is Vaughn Johnson, and I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick McCona, Philly voice and Philly influencer. And we got a very, very special guest in the building for a very, very special special episode, I should say, of the Straight Shooters, where we've done our deep dives. But we haven't really had guests on our deep dives. I know we had a Patreon guest before for a couple of minutes, but now we got somebody who's in the trenches of one of our deep dives. We're going we're gonna to deep dive into the lone WrestleMania that took place in Philadelphia, WrestleMania 15. And we got the hometown hero of that show, Blue Meanie, to talk about all things around in the show and deep dive right along with this. Blue Meanie, I got, I'm going to check in with you, though, Nick. I'm going to check in with you, too, but we got a special guest. I got to check in with my guy, Blue Meanie. <laughs> How are you doing today, my good blue brother? Uh, How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm glad I could be here. I know I had to jump through a couple hoops, uh, a couple flaming hoops to get here, but uh, I'm here and I'm happy. Uh, I'm glad you guys are. Asked me to come on. Uh, yeah, man, these guys are great. You know, you're good people. You know, great guys. Uh, enjoy the show. So, yeah, thanks for having me on, man, on this deep dive into uh, my WrestleMania moment in my hometown of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, another thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining us. Uh, oh, thanks man. for good. fitness into your busy schedule. Uh, but- it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I have to help uh, other people out, but I'm glad to help other people out. But also, uh, you know, I got my stuff I got to do, too. So I'm got, exactly. like such as this. So I'm glad I'm here. Exactly. Exactly. So you have you host your own podcast as well. The Mind of Meanie. If you want to tell the folks where they can find your podcast. 
Yeah, my uh, my my podcast, which we just had the uh, one year episode, uh, Mind of the Meanie, drops every Monday morning at six a.m. Uh, you can also watch the video version of Mind of the Meanie, exclusive. Well, not exclusively because it airs the next night on our youtube.com slash mind of the meanie youtube page but monday night at 6 p.m you can go over to fight tv and watch the video version of mind of the meanie uh which you can uh, watch for absolutely free it's kind of like the old howard stern show where you can w- listen to the show and then later on that night on the e-channel you know you, you can watch some clips from that show you just watched that morning or whatever and i'm sure somebody will pick it apart and go well actually it was from a couple weeks ago and but whatever you can watch it on fight tv so uh <laughs> yeah we're, we're busy over at the world and mind of me myself and josh sure enough having a lot of fun and uh can't believe it's been a year man wow there you go over on fight tv so straight shooters listeners go check it out support the good brother brian heffern blue meanie uh, it's always been good to us from day one. Anytime but, this is my real name, I, I'm a, I assume I'm in trouble. Uh, Mr. Heffron, <laughs> step into the room. <laughs> what I do now, you know, principal's office. Yeah, the sh- use a shoot name here and there, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. But, Nick, I know you're good having a good day today because today is opening day uh. for the Phillies here in <laughs> Philly, right? They're playing at home, right? They are. In 40 degree weather. <laughs> I hope they are. <laughs> Otherwise, we sound really stupid right now. But um, yeah, it's one my game Christmas. did get postponed for for COVID. I don't know if you saw that. It's not not surprising. Uh, the Nationals and Mets, I believe. So uh, you know that's gonna happen, and it's gonna happen the rest of the year. So uh, I, I really, it's my Christmas today. So yeah. I'm excited. Uh, Phillies are my number one love. If I had to rank them, they would be up there, but I don't like ranking them because I, you know, I love my sports teams equally, but I've been following the Phillies since 93 and uh, like that year. So what a year to start following them. What and, a magical year. It, it was absolutely incredible. And I, I remember, you know, I was told I had an imaginative mind when I was that young because I told my teacher that I went to Toronto for a world series game like the previous night. <laughs> uh, She's like, really? You went to Toronto and you're in school today. And I was like, yeah, it's not that far. You know, like, I didn't know how far away it was. I didn't know the map yet in uh second grade or third grade. I should say I was in third grade. I didn't really know the map yet. So uh, yeah, I'm pumped, uh, ready to hopefully finally have the Phillies make the playoffs the first time in 10 years and uh nice it would be nice it would be it would be so i did uh, a, I did an article for sports illustrate where i did a breakdown of how that 93 phillies team was just like the e- ecw roster you know <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, i'll have to send you the link i don't i know we're here for the deep dive for wrestlemania but i'll send you the link and you know that you know the, the characters on that 93 phillies team remind me a lot of ECW. ECW was. We may ECW. need to do a deep dive on that eventually. <laughs> yeah. ECW. I, I tell everybody, you watch every sports movie like Major League or Slapshot. And that was ECW, and we we lived that. You know, it, we we lived those mo- those movies. You know, the '93 Phillies is one of those teams that people still talk about, even though they didn't win the World Series. They talk about that team almost as fondly as they talk about the '08 team that actually won the World Series. It's, yeah. It's really. It's not to say it's strange. It's just really odd how that happens in Philly. The people, if you probably ask a lot of people who their favorite Philly team is, especially if they're of a certain age, maybe the, the younger generation will probably say the 08 team because that's their that's their team. Right. But if you're 
over 30 into your 40s, maybe even 50s, you're probably going to say the 93 team is just as popular or just as fun to watch as that 08 team, that team that won it all, instead of the, the team that had a heartbreaking loss in game six in Toronto. So. Yeah, and that just goes to that goes down to characters get over more than wins and losses, you know. There you go. There you go. So it's a lesson, a wrestling lesson right there. Yeah, it is. It's a wrestling lesson right there. But let's let's get back in that way back machine. Not quite to 1993. <laughs> let's go back to 1999, where Philadelphia hosted one and only to date. Hopefully that'll change soon. It's one and only WrestleMania. Me and Nick were saying on the podcast for a while, uh, meaning that. We might we're thinking WrestleMania's gonna come back in 2026 because it's like the was it the 250th anniversary of the country and we already got the baseball all-star game coming that year so we're hoping crossing fingers that they'll bring in WrestleMania that year too but for now we got 1999 we got March 28 1999 at the at the time was known as the First Union Center now it's known as the Wells Fargo Center uh, we're gonna talk about that a little bit as well but Brian. Let's talk about you for a second. <laughs> where was kind of talk about what, where you were in your life at that point, heading into WrestleMania. You know, just kind of take me back into your mind at that time, heading into WrestleMania before WrestleMania even happens. You know, it's in your hometown. You know, you got a lot going on with you got a match to worry about. Talk, talk to us about your mind, state of mind heading into WrestleMania back in '99. '99, it, it was was interesting because uh, you know I come into WWE. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm indoctrinated into WWE through the job squad with Al Snow, Scorpio, Bob Holly, Gilberg, Gilberg. And, uh, you know, you know, the job squad was doing pretty good. And then, uh, somewhere along the line, uh, they start breaking up the job squad. Uh, you know, uh, Scorpio, uh, got released, uh, which, it sucks for him, but in a way it kind of works out for me because uh, then they start putting me on the house show loops, teaming with Bob Holly as a member of the job squad. And, you know, as a young kid, you know, being on the road for WWE and that, you know, I don't know how it is now, but back then, if you were in WWE, you wanted to be on those house show loops because that's where you made the real money. You know, people are like, oh, you're on TV, you're making money. No, you make money going to live events. Right. So I, I was doing pretty good. Yeah, I was teaming with Bob. Every night, wrestling Edge and Christian, uh, and leading up to it, like I said, they start breaking up the uh, job squad, and I, I was just trying to find my way. So when uh, you know they did the angle where Goldust stole Al Snow's head, and I'm like, oh man, uh, is uh, you know they're breaking up the job squad. It's an opportunity for me to get back into the fold. So I go to, up to Vince Russo and I pitch, hey. Goldust stole Al Snow's head. I'm with Al Snow in the job squad. ECW, I was Blue Dust. Now, Goldust is the character that, is the, uh, that plays the mind games. What if I bring back Blue Dust and play mind games with the guy who plays mind games in order to get Al Snow's head back? <laughs> and I, I watched him process it, and he, he started chewing his gum, and he was like, yeah, bro, yeah. And then he pitched it, and he's like, yeah, you're going to do it. And then I, I, you know, I had a, you know, a match with... Um, match against Goldust at St. Valentine's Day Massacre in Memphis and uh that that is it February fourteenth? Uh yeah. in uh, Memphis, yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. We talked about that in the podcast a couple weeks back. Around yeah, Valentine's we Day. 
yeah, been yeah. I had a lot. So uh, I had to, I had to, I've, I, sometimes I, I'm getting to that age where I have to say things out loud to remember them. Uh, <laughs> so hence, you know, I start having this few, many feud with Goldust, and uh, we turn around and start uh, teaming, which you know leads me into WrestleMania, where like you know if I hadn't pitched that idea where I feud with Goldust, it might not have led into me eventually teaming with Goldust, and uh, you know which led to me you know being in Goldust corner going into WrestleMania, which was. You know, when you, you know, there's certain feelings you remember. Like I remember when I, you know, first got signed by WWE, the electricity that went through my body. I, as soon as I hung up that phone and was able to go to the next room and tell my folks to put all the bills in my name. Because, and, and, you know, when I found out, you know, we're going to be a part of WrestleMania and it's in my hometown of Philadelphia in front of, you know, friends and family, there's a, a jolt that goes through you. You know, it, it's like, you know, any scene out of a movie, you know, and in some ways you could say, oh, if that was in the movie, it'd be too corny, but it was my movie moment. So, uh, I like it. <laughs> so yeah, going up to that, you know, you just, sometimes, you know, around this time of year, I reflect on WrestleMania's past, whether it's the first time I ever went to a WrestleMania, like, you know, I watched the first three on close circuit with my grandfather at resorts in Atlantic city. Went to four and five uh, by myself, but my grandpa got sweet tickets because he worked for Trump Plaza. And then, you know, the first time I watched WrestleMania in my home live was WrestleMania six. Cause you know, that was like the pay-per-view had been around, but I hadn't had a reason to get a WWE pay-per-view until or WrestleMania on pay-per-view until WrestleMania six. So, you know, flash forward, you know, nine years and then you know from watching it on pay-per-view of wrestlemania 6 and now i'm going to be on wrestlemania 15 it's it's so bizarre it's kind of like it's like my vince papali moment you know <laughs> right. right obviously like you said it's a big deal you grew up here you're a 444 fan for all the teams then yep. you also worked for the promotion that was like pretty much a fifth favorite everybody's fifth favorite team here in in, in philly and ecw so yeah. yeah, that's a that's a dope moment. That's a dope moment that a lot of wrestlers don't get, especially not just out of WrestleMania, but also your your WrestleMania in your hometown. Like, how many and, people can say that? And it makes you think, man, because you know there's so many wrestlers from Philly, and uh, a lot of wrestlers I consider more talented than myself who never had the opportunity. So, you know, the other day I posted, uh, you know, my memory of being at WrestleMania 15 and. Uh, Tom Brandy, Sal Sincere reached out with a text saying, Hey, happy WrestleMania day, man. You know, and Tom Brandy is a guy who, you know, when I was just a fan, I was thinking about becoming a wrestler. I met Tom Brandy at the convention. I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting into the wrestling business. How old are you? And I, I think I was 17 at the time. He's like, Oh, it's perfect. You go do it. You know? And he gave me that motivation and we're still friends all these years later. Do you think he was sincere about it? <laughs> Sincere. I'll uh, uh, I'll take yeah. five. No, <laughs> Sit this one out. Uh, no, no, but steer, seriously, you think about all the opportunities I've had, and then you know of other people who would kill to be in that moment, and you just it makes you appreciate the opportunity to have like a, a storybook moment in your career. I debuted for ECW in Philly, debuted for WWE in Philly, my WrestleMania moments in Philly. You know, the only thing that would have topped it off is if I could have come back, came back to the Rumble in Philly. 
You know, yeah, that, that should have happened too. WWE dropped the ball on that, by the way. It almost, it almost happened, but uh, yeah. say so, la vie. Yeah. They had two chances to do it and didn't do it. Damn it, should have happened. So. Uh, well, they did the crowd with her. They, we should have Roman, and <laughs> they would have uh, booed Nakamura. So. Yeah, it came down to me and Bob. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't mean to step on your joke there, man. I'm sorry, but uh, it, it came down to me and Bubba. They chose Bubba, and I get it. So no hard feelings. Uh, you mentioned you know you're gonna be able to have this moment in front of your friends and family. Yeah. What, what was the logistics like of of taking care of them as far as like tickets and stuff like that? Like what was that all like? I know like we went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and the players always talk about getting tickets for everybody is hectic. You know, I let my my wife or whoever do that. Um, and I know for me, and I didn't have as many tickets and responsibilities as players. It was still a hectic like 24 hours for me to have to figure everything out. Yeah. This is WrestleMania. How was it for you trying to take care of everybody and in, in, in the lead up to this? It wasn't too bad. Um, I had brought my uh, family to a, a prior ha- just regular house show, and that was that wasn't too bad. Uh, but you know uh, they had a special. It's funny I was watching it because. Uh, I, you know, leading up to this, I rewatched WrestleMania 15 just to refresh my memory. And, uh, I remember there was like a, a family suite, uh, like a suite for wives and husbands, family, whatever. And, uh, after my deal, you know, I, I washed up and I went up to the, uh, the family, uh, suite. That's the word I'm looking for. Sweet. I got up there right in time to see triple H, uh, turn on X-Pac. And like anytime I watch uh, X Pac versus uh, you know X Pac get turned on by Triple H, I kind of look for yeah. I kind of go, oh yeah, I was sitting right up there uh, watching, yeah. you know, just with my family and folks and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, just like certain things bring back certain memories. But uh, the logistics wasn't wasn't too too bad. How how many people did you have? Did you have like 30, 40 people there? <laughs> oh, no, but it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Uh, you know. Keep it, keep it, you know, I keep my circle small. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too, too bad. So, uh, thankfully for me, uh, most of my family hated wrestling and made fun of me for liking wrestling <laughs> oh as a kid. So I didn't have to worry about those folks. So, you know, just, you know, media family and stuff like that. So even when you got to WWE, you figure like by the point, by the time you get to WWE, they'd be like, oh, well, maybe this is working out for Brian here. Like, I can see if you're on the Indies and stuff like that, maybe they're still scoffing at it, but. WWF is a big time. Oh, they liked it, you know, when they can hit me up for money. But uh, you know, oh, that's great! You're in WWE. Woo! Got five bucks. Uh, <laughs> but you know, other than that, you know, they they still scoffed at it. Oh, it's fake. How can you watch that fake thing? I was like, I don't know. How do you watch TV? Uh, how do you go to the movies? You know, it's it's entertainment. You know. Also, that money is real. Yeah, it yeah. was. Well, nothing fake about that money. Yeah, Uncle Sam got most of it, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> it bees that way. <laughs> I, yeah, that's the one thing people don't realize, you know. Whoever you make in wrestling, take 50% of that and just throw that towards the government and travel and expenses yeah. and stuff like that. So it's just like, you know, <laughs> it's that, that cartoon where the guy's pulling out the, his pockets. It's just like, wah, wah. You know, <laughs> I gotta get me one of those. Oh, dude, you gotta get yourself a roadcaster, man. These things are fantastic. Love it. We used to do, uh, when we were in the studio, we would have like Keenan and Kel bits, <laughs> just like, you know, 
hits from that. That was like my favorite thing to do in the studio. <laughs> just play those King awesome. Kel bits, man. I keep forgetting how much older I am than you guys. You're like, man, my first Philly season was 93. I was like, son of a bitch, I was graduating high school. Well, the funny thing is I had just started playing baseball, too, because I guess my parents wanted me to at least do something outside of the house. So I was like, I'll try baseball, and I fell in love with it. So it was like the same year um, I started watching the Phillies. So it just kind of worked out. Thankfully, it worked out uh, for me. And my first first WrestleMania was WrestleMania 6. So... Yeah, I didn't watch it live, but I watched it. My babysitter and her family were huge wrestling fans. So when I would stay over there, they got me into it. And WrestleMania 6, I was like, wow, like this is awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. So we, we've been to WrestleMania since 1999. And the, the whole week leading up, it's like a big deal. They have the Access Convention. They have all, it's all the independent shows surrounding the event. I'm sure you've probably taken part in a couple here and there. And in, 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 in the last, you know, in the last decade and a half, they've had these big independent shows surrounding uh, WrestleMania. What was the week like back in '99, especially for a WWF talent? I'm sure you probably were. I don't know how. Were you busy? Were you doing a lot of radio hits, a lot of interviews? And after you, that, we got to talk about the WrestleMania Rage Party because we did a <laughs> deep dive on that back in like well, last August, right. and we're still like wondering what the hell was that. But first, talk about the week leading up. Just what was that? What was that like for you and the other guys too? How was it hectic? Was it not so hectic? You know, did you have a good time? What was it like? It was. It was pretty much just like it almost felt like you were just doing. I mean, WrestleMania is a big thing, but you kind of felt like you're just leading up to another, you know, Monday Night Raw or whatever. I I did an interview for the Philadelphia Inquirer or Daily News, whichever one. And, there, and, and uh, I think I saw the article. Uh, they, they did an article on, you know, the hometown guy doing WrestleMania in his hometown and stuff like that. And then there was like the day before there was like a, a thing on a Saturday, we, uh, did a meet and greet on the boat and the, the boat went up and down to Delaware for a little bit. And we came back, yes. we had lunch and it was me and gold dust with a couple fans and a fan was kind enough to send me an eight by 10 from that thing, or I would have totally forgot about it, but, uh, mm. pretty cool. But other than that, it was basically just, uh. Hanging out, and then, like you said, we did the rage party on Saturday night, and then the next day, you know, you show for uh, WrestleMania, like you're showing up for TVs. You know, it's yeah. just like it felt like another TV, but hey, it's the biggest show of the year. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, <laughs> if you watch that WrestleMania, man, you, I'm, I'm breaking out in a sweat just from you know nerves and stuff like that, and my paint's wearing off, and you know, I'm just, I, you know, I was just like. I'm going to make sure they say my name. Uh, <laughs> oh, they but said it. Lead, lead, <laughs> leading up to it. I mean, it, it sounds so, it, I don't want to sound like, you know, so blah, but it felt like, you know, it's leading up to another TV and stuff like that, you know, which, you know, that, that, you know, uh, far into the business, you're kind of used to doing press and stuff like that, doing interviews. And so it was cool to be in the, the uh, inquire. You know, and in the photos, me uh, clothesline draws, who's another area native. So it was like a PA on New Jersey crime uh, in the photo <laughs> right there. So, yeah, uh, and it, it was really cool. It was, it was uh, you know, leading up to it and doing the uh, the lunch on the uh, the ship and then doing the uh, doing the rage party. Did you guys have like a loop ahead of time, like a, like a house show loop? Or was you just like here kind of for a couple of days leading up? I know nowadays they don't really have house shows leading up, obviously. They're just here for the whole week and they just kind of hang out. 
I, I would have to research that on history wwf.com but uh i I, th- I think we did that weekend st- that week's tvs uh you know we did that raw and uh i think we went home i don't think we had a, any house shows leading up to that i could be wrong uh, i'm sure somebody will fact check me uh but just going from memory i, I believe we did that week's the go home episodes of raw leading up to wrestlemania and then uh, we all went home i i'm it might have been different for me because i lived in philly other talent from other cities might have had to come to philly early so maybe that's where i'm kind of losing the plot on that one because i gotcha. i just went home yeah, <laughs> home know? is philly where yeah. wrestlemania is I, i'm sure other talent had to come to philly to do press and stuff like that but for me it was just like being home which was like the cool part sleeping in you know we i did wrestlemania and i'm sleeping in my own bed and the night you know it's kind of cool uh but now we got to talk about this rage party because we, we watched it we did a deep dive on it yeah that was our, one of our very first ones too it left the bar <laughs> yeah and since we, got, since we have me and you on talk about wrestlemania 15 we gotta talk about the rage party yeah were you at the rage party i'm assuming you were yeah Yes. At the convention center. Yes. Wh- what was the mood like? Because it looked like on TV, it was just like a bunch of guys in the convention center just hanging out in the middle of the convention center, and there would be some wrestling stuff happening at the same time, like a promo, Vince McMahon dancing, uh, <laughs> Isaac Hayes. But like all the stuff is happening, but it's just a bunch of people standing, hanging out in the convention center, trying to take me backstage or take me just what, – what, what the hell was this party? Brian. I wish I could give you some exciting, something exciting about it. It's like, uh, that there was the big room with the convention and everything like that. It took up like a good portion of the convention center. And then there was like a green room in the back for the boys just to hang out. And it was kind of surreal because, uh, that, that night I met Zach wild from Ozzy Osbourne band who was, he was hanging out cause he's a big wrestling fan and he brought, the guys from his band black label society just to hang out. He wasn't even before me. He was just there hanging out. Right. Well, he was friends with security guy, Jim Dotson. The, uh, for anybody. Is that the real, the real guy? Yeah. The real muscular guy who was always at ringside. He was the head of security for WWE. And yeah, he was, uh, Jim Dotson was a huge metal head. And, uh, Zach being from Jersey, being local, he invited, Zach out and Zach was hanging out in the back with uh, the boys just watching and there was a monitor and there was catering which is like that's the joke like if you're not booked you're you're hanging out catering uh, yeah you go to my pro wrestling tees I have a t-shirt for uh, unbooked catering it says we have something for you when creative doesn't you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I like that yeah that night I, I learned a lot about pesto sauce uh <laughs> Big Show's eating this big plate of pasta. I'm like, what's that green stuff? He goes, oh, it's pesto. I was like, oh, let me try it. You know, four plates later, you know, I was like, <laughs> whatever. And I, I was, I was slated to be on that rage party. This is how competitive the, you know, WWE was at the time. You know, uh, especially dealing with live TV, you could be slated to be on the show, and last second to go, okay, your segment's cut. Because mm-hmm. there was a, there was a moment where me and Goldust, and Ryan Shamrock. We're in the middle of the floor at the rage party with a camera crew and everything. And we're waiting wow. to come back from commercial and the fans are watching us. And I'm just standing there like waiting to go in, go in the meanie mode. I was supposed to do like a, 
Sort of like a lap dance for Goldust to win his attention over Ryan Shamrock. <laughs> what? Yeah, like Ryan Shamrock was going to be like, they, you know, playing with his hair, massaging him. I was supposed to, you know, dance like I'm trying to win his affection and stuff like that. And then, like, right as we're right, I'm like, in, like, you know, when you see somebody running a race during the go position at the starting blocks, I'm like in the starting blocks. And then the uh, producer goes, ah, oh, the segment got cut. We're like, crap. So we had to just like turn off the lights and walk off. And I guess maybe the good part about that, the good part that came out of that is we're walking along and I'm walking side, side by side, turning to my right. And there's Isaac Hayes. I was like, oh, hey, hey. And he shook his hand and that was about it. I was, I was like, son of a bitch. My camera's in my gear bag. I, I would have got a photo with Isaac Hayes. But uh, man, it, it was an interesting show. Um, you know, I just remember hanging out and catering and watching most of it from catering and, uh, you know, uh, watching some of the bands play, you know, so there's a couple bands that were good, you know, then there, you had your, uh, one hit wonders, like there's a band big mouth or something, something. It was cherry popping daddies was there. Yeah. And there was another band their Their album cover was somebody had the American flag tattooed on their tongue. I'm trying to think of that band. Ooh. That is song. I think that I is song remember. in Varsity Blues or something like that. I'm going back to that. I, Go, I remembered it. Yeah, I remember that? Isaac Hayes performed uh, Big Pun and didn't yeah. say Pop and Daddy. So that's all, that's all I remember as far as musical acts. I guess there were more, but I don't remember. Do you remember, Nick? No, I just remember the Cherry Pop and Daddies was like well, the that, band these, then, so that's all I remember. I think these guys were the dark match. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was going to ask you. There, there's festivities off air as well. Yeah, I was gonna ask you how really, how long really was that party? Was it an all day thing or like? Pretty much a well, I know I wouldn't say all day. It was a, it was a pretty much an all night thing. Yeah. Well, not like because it was not only like, on not TV after for hours, hours, but you know, it, uh, I, I, it was long enough for them to make money off concessions, which um, you know uh, justified renting out the convention center for an for a night. You know, so you know yeah. they. They had a bar and stuff like that, and guys were getting lit up and having some uh, daddy sodas and stuff nice. like that. So, you know, it, 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 it was crazy on TV. For whoever it was on TV, it was fun off air, too, you know? I think in my head, I had, because I was a big fan of Shotgun Saturday Night, even though I couldn't watch it live. So, yeah. in my head, going into that, I was like, this is going to be just like Shotgun Saturday Night two years ago. I was like, they're going to, maybe they'll have a ring there and they'll have matches. And I was excited, but that I mean, I taped sense. it anyway. And I was like, oh, this is okay. Um, I, I didn't really watch it after the facts and, until we did the, our deep dive. The crazy thing is when I was, I was only 10 when it aired and I'm like, I want to be there. Like it looked like the coolest party in history on TV. Yeah. Now in hindsight, it probably wasn't the coolest <laughs> party in history, but as a kid, you're like, Man, all those people—they're just having fun and living life, and it's Stone Cold and it's DX and and, and it's like it's Philly, you know? Right. I grew I grew up in Atlantic City, and I still might kick myself for not going to the Slammies. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Slammies were literally three blocks from my house where I lived in Atlantic City, and I wish I would have just went and watched them, you know, record the uh, the guys pulling up to the building and stuff like that. You know, right, when, right. you know, you show guys showing up in ambulances and limousines and stuff like that, you know, I was three blocks from that. And then for whatever mental block I had, I didn't leave my house to go even look or try to get in. Cause I was pretty good at sneaking into stuff, you know, as a kid, you know, I snuck me and my, my buddies from high school snuck into the Holyfield Foreman fight, Nice. You know? <laughs> yeah, which was, which was like a scene out of a movie, you know, we, <laughs> 
uh, I know we're talking about WrestleMania, but like that, we were like, man, let's try to get in there. And it's one of those doors where one side had the push bar, and the, the outside door was just flat, but we stuck our fingertips in on each side of the door. Five guys this side, five guys that. Three, two, one, and we pulled, and the door flew open. We went, we went, holy, shit, it worked. And security <laughs> went, hey, get out of here. And we just scattered cockroaches. I was like, they can't catch us all. Nope. And then we reconvened at the top and watched the fight for free in the nosebleeds. It was pretty cool. But uh, that's yeah, dope. I kicked myself for not going to down to see the Slammy. So I, when you said you know you wish you were at the uh, the rage party, it just brought me back to that time. You know where you know I was a young kid. You know, trying to MacGyver my way into situations. It's it's funny because that same event, WrestleMania, I obviously didn't have tickets. I didn't go, but I wanted to watch it on pay-per-view. And I don't think my mom knew how big of a wrestling fan I was just yet. So when, like, you, you've probably seen this back in the day. The pay-per-view will start, and you have that little, like, 10-minute preview, and then it shuts off because you didn't pay for it, obviously. Right. That was me. So I'm looking to watch it. I'm like, maybe I get to watch it for free? And then it shut off. I was like, no. I started crying, man. I was, like, 10. I was crying that I didn't get to watch WrestleMania 15. Oh. So, well, back in the day, the time, yeah, on, the, on the cable remote, there was this button that said A slash B. Yeah, you know, if you kept hitting that, you can listen to the scrambled pay-per-view, you know? Oh, yeah. We've yeah. done that a couple times back in the day. <laughs> that was me with the Spice Channel. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there was the meme. I was like, oh, I see your nipples. I'm like, that. it's just like the, the scrambled. It was green, but it was a nipple. That counts. <laughs> Guess. Yeah. Well, it's funny you guys talk about that. I didn't want to go to WrestleMania because what? I... I was like the biggest wrestling fan. I was the only wrestling fan when I moved to Jersey and I was in my school and then I got really popular. So people were like talking to me about it here and there, but they liked, you know, the rock and Austin, like the big guys, they didn't care about like the middle card or the mid card or, you know, the opening uh, match or whatever. So I was just kind of like, well, they're, they're not real wrestling fans. So I don't want to like associate with them. Like I was a snob, you know, like I was a wrestling snob. I was like, I'm the real fan here. And I knew, like, I just had a feeling that so many of my classmates were going to be at WrestleMania, even though I haven't talked to them about it. So I was like, I don't want to go. Like, I'd rather just watch it at home in my safe area with my parents. Like that's where I'm most comfortable. Like, I don't want to be in that crowd. I never went to an ECW show. I have friends that went to a lot of ECW shows in the ECW arena. And I remember I went to a combat zone wrestling show in 2011. And I was just like, wow, this, this crowd is so different than what I'm used to when I go to like a WWF show. And I just wasn't a fan of it. Like I had a certain comfortability of what crowd I wanted to be around. That's and Attitude Era WWF wasn't that. You know, I went to a Raw in 98, and I was like, oh, like, I don't like being around here. I miss the new generation of 1995 with, like, Diesel and whatnot <laughs> and Jeff Jarrett and everything. Like, that Jeff was my – that's where I felt comfortable, you know, not in <laughs> an Attitude Era uh, crowd. So, yeah, I was happy just to watch uh, WrestleMania from Philly at home. And when I was lived, you know, 20 minutes away. Dude, you, you just, just – just... You just described my uh, life at 47, where I really just don't want to leave the house. Just I'm with you. You know, back in the day, b- b- sending me to my room was a punishment. Now it's a reward. Just, oh, go to my room. Oh, yeah. I'll you ain't got to tell me. Yeah. Tell I was me. going there anyway. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was, really wasn't a punishment as a kid because I had a TV, I had a fridge, I had everything. I was like, I had like the coolest <laughs> bedroom as a teenager, you know, just... 
I, I took whatever furniture other relatives didn't want. You know, I had a full couch with a pull-out bed and a Man. TV and a fridge and a stuff. You had Hey Arnold nice. for them, pretty much? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a perfect bachelor pad for a teenager, you know? <laughs> so let's let's get to the show now. Yeah. And let's provide some context a little bit, because context is a WWF at this point was crushing things, everything. Attendance, ratings, I mean, everything is flying off the shelves. Merchandise, everything is selling. It's yeah. a hot product on TV, meaning you're right in the thick of it. So, you know, obviously you were ECW in this heyday, but what was it like being with WWF at that point in time when Steve Austin's at his peak, The Rock is at his peak? I mean, we're, we're not even into the probably the best part of the attitude there. I think the best part was 2000 when they had like Edge and Christian and, and, and the tag teams and all that stuff. But what was it like for you being a part of a product that high at that level, too? Dude, I was very fortunate. Um, you know, I was part of ECW during their hottest period from like 96 to 98. And then, you know, it just it seemed like happenstance where I get the call to go to WWE in 98 to 2000, you know, which in some ways was the hottest hour. But it's all a matter of opinion and taste right. and stuff like that. There's no wrong answer. Whatever makes you happy, you know, is what I say. But uh, it was very cool, man. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing TV in ECW where a lot of it's, uh, you know, uh, you record it and they, you know, edit it and post and then you know we start doing live tvs around you know uh barely legal and that's when we start getting ta- you know taste of doing live tv and when we did money you know, ecw invaded raw but then you go to wwe and there's that pressure every week of live tv well at that point it was we do a live monday night raw and then on tuesday we would do the following week's raw right, and then right. eventually you know the pressure became to do, you know, Eric Bischoff put the pressure on, you know, give him all the credit, you know, he's given away WWE's, you know, uh, the match, you know, the wins and losses, you know, the, uh, the finishes on Monday Nitro. Okay. This week they're taped, you know, so, so the pressure became to do live every week. So that pressure of just doing live TV every week, I hear stories about like, you know, how, Back in the day when people used to, you know, work on Saturday Night Live and they're working hard to get their bit on air. You know what I'm saying? When you're there in that era, it's you're you're working hard just to get a match on Raw. Right. right. Sometimes you get, you know, relegated to like a heat or a, a metal, you know, or something like that, which is fine. Uh, nope. And not knocking anything, but like as a performer, you want to be on that live Raw, you know, because, you know, 10 seconds on a Raw you know, your life changes, you know, I remember going to WWE, I would go to Walmart down there on Delaware Ave and I'm like, Are people following me, <laughs> you know, wow. I, would get, I would get like for ECW, I would get noticed, you know, out in the, out in the wild. And then, but like, you know, you're walking through Walmart and you're, you've, you have that sixth sense of where you feel like you're being followed or watched. Some people call it paranoia, but like, you know, you're walking down an aisle and you're like side eyeing. And then, like, you stop, and the person down at the other end of the aisle who's going down that aisle stops. And you start walking, they start walking kind of thing. It's, just like, it's like, man, WWE's TV's got some reach. Because I live here, and you know, I was on TV every week in Philly, and none of this stuff happened. You know, kids are knocking at your door, you know, asking wow. for so stuff like that, which I'm not complaining. Uh, a lot of those kids wound up uh, becoming adults and, you know, 
I meet them out in the wild and they remind me about that. So it's all cool. But yeah, being WWE in that era, my God, the fact that I'm still here in 2021 talking to y'all about, you know, things I did in WWE with WrestleMania 15. I mean, it, it had staying power. Um, but like, yeah, man, I went to, I went and watched that, uh, yeah, like I said, I wanted to prep myself for this and rewatch WrestleMania 15. And I mean, they did a lot of hot shotting in that era too, because of the pressure of live TV and having right. direct competition, you know, uh, now they, and when, when TV was really a war between WWE and WCW, now they try to do the whole Wednesday night wars, but with NXT and AEW, I was like, can't really be a war if you're fighting over decimal points. You know, uh, Speed on it. seriously, back in the day, you know, Raw and Nitro, they were doing eight point whatevers, nine point whatevers. And now it's your wrestling, you're fighting over 0.05, whatever, you know, uh, calculus you want to, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever, for, derivative of, yeah, it's not a war, uh, but that, yeah, that's my, uh, soapbox, but, uh, back in the day when, when it was a real war and you felt real pressure to not only beat the competition, but pressure as yourself as a performer to get that airtime. Cause this is the moneymaker right here. You know, I know we're on audio, but I'm making a square around my face for the, the, my co-host here. You know, this is the moneymaker, your face. You want that on that Monday night raw. So yeah, uh, long story short on your uh, answer <laughs> or short story, long, long story short, whichever you prefer. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure, man. Yeah. To get on that live TV. All right. Speaking of pressure, let's go to March 28th, 1999. This is you talk about pressure. This is it. This is WrestleMania, the biggest show of the year. Yeah. Uh, not just from a you know storyline standpoint, but from a financial standpoint. A lot of you guys, that's that's you know, at least back in the day with the old pay-per-view model, the majority of your pay for that year probably came from WrestleMania. So you got to show up. You got to show out. Uh, I'm sorry. It's funny you say that, but go go, go. no, no. Uh, I know I'm jumping ahead. But like we, you know, before I got there, I always heard stories of man, you want that WrestleMania payoff, right? And then, uh, you know, for those who don't know, you, you, you know, uh, you get your weekly, I had a weekly downside guarantee. If I went to mm-hmm. TV, I got X amount. If I went to a pay-per-view, I got X amount. Now, if I'm on a paper, if I go to a house show, I get X amount, you know, I, I could get a draw from that week's you know, a cash advance. And then a couple months later, you get your house show money. If you work a pay-per-view, at least back then, I don't know how it is now with the network. Uh, back then, if you worked a pay-per-view, you could get your cash, get a cash advance against your check. And then a couple months later, maybe three months later, you get your pay-per-view check. So you work WrestleMania and, uh, you know, back in the AOL days, you're on aim and we're, I'm talking to my, a couple of different coworkers. I was, they're like, did you get your check? Yeah, I got my check. Did you? And like the check was just like a regular house show payoff. Oh. And like you're like, you're thinking, man, you know, because going to WWE, you're like, dude, you know, you hear stories about guys getting their pay-per-view check and it's like a down payment on a house, you know? Right. Like, Especially the WrestleMania check, like you said. It's like, oh, that made my year. Like, oh, you're a thinking. A lot of people, all the stories. Yeah, you're thinking, you know, five figures, you know? And you're like, you get, you're, you're like, Dude, I got my WrestleMania check. I thought it was like a, a Madison Square Garden check, you know, which it was nothing to sneeze at either. But 
at that time they're saying it's the highest rated uh, or uh, the biggest buy rate for any WWE pay-per-view at that point. And then you get your check and you're like, Oh, I guess I went to the, you know, <laughs> I guess I, I guess I went to the main event. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that was a rage party check. Yeah. Yeah. I guess rage party check. <laughs> Dude, if I had 2020 hindsight back in the day, I could have said that to whoever I was chatting to on uh, instant messenger with. <laughs> Is this a rage party check? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. I think uh, you think, you think Austin and rock for the house, but. It's like, damn, they took all the money, too, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they deserve every penny, man. They were. Uh, oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, dude, yeah. for like, like I said, for all I went through, like me walking through Walmart and get followed. I watched them walk through an airport. And, oh, my God. And this is like pre 9-11. This is like pre 9-11 where anybody could go through the security and sit at a gate and wait for you with a stack of 800, 8 by 10s, hoping you sign them and stuff like that. It's crazy. You know what those guys went through and the pressure they went through. So I I, I felt awkward going to a mall and standing in line just to beat them. And I can't imagine well, how being like an airport. Was, yeah, exactly. Like I I felt awkward just because I'm like I feel like I'm bothering them even though they're there for that. You know, like no, nah, but they're at the mall for a reason. But when you're going to an airport to fly home and there's a guy at the airport with a stack eight by tens, hey, can you sign these? I was like. I'll sign one of them. Right. Right. And, and they, they go away and they, you know, send over a kid with the stack eight by 10. Say he's not going to turn down a kid. Is he, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just, apparently that, that kind of thing still goes on to this day, which. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, even, even, even in COVID. Even in COVID. There's still people trying to get in airports and, uh, get autographs. Even at Novacare with the Eagles, where we, you know, our, our headquarters, people, non COVID times, people will wait outside the gates and wait for people to pull out, you know, and try to go, and see what who's in the car. Like, oh, can I get autographs? Sign the helmet, whatever. So yeah, people, people are are you know hectic when it comes to those uh, autographs. Man, they don't play games. Yeah. I guess they, that resale market. I guess it, it's it maybe it's worth it. Maybe you get the right autograph, the right signature, and somebody's willing to buy it. Yeah, you can come up. But uh, I don't know if it's worth it all the time <laughs> when you're bothering people in the airports. Yeah, at maybe two o'clock in the morning on the, at the end of a loop, maybe. And they're dead tired, you know? Yeah. And you get the people at the worst time. They just woke up. They don't want to be going to the airport. And right. You just want to be in your own bed. And Hey, can you sign 8,008 by tens for me? <laughs> Especially if you're late for your flight and stuff like that. And then, you know, if you blow them off, Oh, he was so mean to me. You know, exactly. Like Craziness. Exactly. So let's go to the start of WrestleMania 15. We got Boys to Men, the Philly natives, Boys to Men singing America the Beautiful. Uh, most of the catalog is still a bop to this day, obviously. I'm sure we all know multiple songs. My personal favorite is Motown Philly. Yes. Back again. You know what I'm saying? That's still a bop to this day. I still shed a tear for uh, End of the Road. You know. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's. I got, I got to meet those guys backstage and uh, very cool. Very cool dudes, but I was just blown away by how much taller I was than them. Because you mm-hmm. you grow you grow up watching people on TV. You're like, the t- you think the tallest guy's like, oh, he's got to be seven foot. And I'm to like taller than than, than the uh, the tallest guy. I was like, oh son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> TV fooled me. And then like now I was watching it the other day. You know, leading up to this, and now I, I gauge how tall somebody is depending on how close they are to the top rope. 
<laughs> yeah. Because yeah. yeah. the further away they are, the, the taller they may may look, right? I was like, I was like, well, the top rope comes up to my shoulder blades, so I'm 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 gauging. I was like, oh, it's up to his you know chin, so he's you know he's a little bit shorter, you know. Yeah. It's goofy how I gauge things you know nowadays, but <laughs> yeah, those guys are great, and they, and what a way to open up the the pay per view with a the hometown talent and uh, right. it's fantastic. Right. No, they did a great job. And go ahead, Nick. I was gonna say no single piece of uh, WWF merchandise. You know the way Willie Nelson had it like WrestleMania Seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's uh, that's how I gauge. You know, do, are they really like into it? Like, <laughs> a boys and men well, just here? Like, do they really like WWF? Like, I, I don't I know. I did take note of their fashion because we had like I put the fashion of 1999 was on full display. We had one wearing a turtleneck, another yeah. one wearing a, a a sleeveless leather vest, and another one had like a bandana around his head. It was just like this. This is this is fashion in 1999. You look at boys and men; they were all like. They could have went straight from WrestleMania straight to the club, <laughs> but when you oh. look at it in hindsight, it's like what? What the hell? A sleeveless leather vest, really? <laughs> Steve Austin now? That's yeah, probably got, his vest. Yeah, the pre-Rock <laughs> Yeah, the pre-Rock Hollywood uh, uh, leather vest going on there yeah. when he, he, he did the rock concert. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then we transitioned to a video package voiced by Classy Freddie Blassie, which I thought was actually very well done. Uh, I was emotional when I hear his voice. He has a very, like, that, that gravity, like, very, I guess I'm going to call it baritone. It's just very deep and gravity. It sounds very, like, like I guess, yeah. emotional or, like, regal. It sounded, it sounded, it was dope, though. Yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Shout out to Classy Freddie Blassie. We get the, the big power display. And we got Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler on the call. And we got Michael Cole calling The Rock versus Steve Austin the most anticipated match in the history of WWF. Now, obviously, this these are the two top guys in the game at this point. And they're two of they're on the Mount, pretty much everybody's Mount Rushmore. It's one or, or both of these guys. Yeah. But was it actually more anticipated than Hogan Andre or Hogan Warrior? I'm I'm just asking because I'm like as much as this match was anticipated and WWF was on the money train at this point, like they were white hot everywhere they went was sold out. Yeah. Was it more anticipated than Hogan warrior or Hogan Andre? Um, you could say Hogan Andre because they filled a stadium, but, uh, both of them did Hogan warrior did sky Dome too. Yeah. 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 But I just, uh, I think in, in, in a sense that both talent, wound up coming up together like uh hogan andre even before wrestlemania 3 they had a series of matches you know where you know hogan was the heel and andre was the baby faces even yep. though wwe didn't you know prevent present that in the uh the build-up uh but like you talk about two towns who came to wwe relatively around the same time and they ascended the ladder pretty much together you know, at the mm-hmm. same time, Andre was always Andre. He was always the draw, you know, and then, you know, Hogan became, became Hulkamania and they were kind of baby faces at the same time, but for the, you know, the rock to ascend, they, they, they pretty much, and a lot of people leave triple H out too, because uh, triple H and the rock kind of came up that ladder, ascended that ladder yeah, as well. But you know, the path they took for this WrestleMania was rock and Austin. I think it was, you know, well anticipated just for the fact that these two guys, you know, I send it, like I, 
I'm repeating myself, but they ascended that ladder and they were meeting at the, you know, essentially the Super Bowl of professional wrestling. And of course, you know, they say that it's the most anticipated wrestling match yeah. until the the next year, you know, of course. And, yeah. They, they got to sell it somehow. I remember the first WrestleMania, they were like, uh, come see WrestleMania live because you, you'll, you'll be old and gray by the time these tapes are seen again. And then three months later, they're selling the VHS. It's like, ah. <laughs> That's when I learned wrestling, wrestling will lie to you, you know, wrestling, <laughs> wrestling business will lie. But, it's, uh, it's definitely part of the cell, but I was, I was just wanted to examine, I always wanted to examine stuff like that. Like it, was it in actuality? Really? Was it, or is this another time that they're going to like for the first time ever, or the, the biggest match ever or something like that, Tony Schiavone and the, the most anticipated, the biggest night in the history of our sport type of thing. So yeah, those guys were scorching hot. Of yeah. course. Yeah, no so, doubt. You no, know, in that era, live TV every week and ratings, battles, and you're dealing with you know w, you know battling WCW in the peripheral and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it was it's it's pretty anticipated. The fact that this was part one of a WrestleMania trilogy, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no doubt. First match on the show though, we get after we get Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler's introduction. Opening matches for the WWF Hardcore Championship. Triple threat match. We got Hardcore Holly, Billy Gunn, and the man that trains you, Blue Meanie, in Al Snow, all the way in Lima, Ohio. Talk about what, how much Al Snow's meant to you. I know you saw you had a post on um, social media that social media not that long ago about the start of your career and how much Al Snow's meant to your career. Uh, talk about him a little bit and how much he's meant to you. Oh, Al Snow's my big brother. Uh, even to this day, you know, uh, a lot of times when you go to train in any line of work it's easily it's so easy for somebody to just take your money and not show you anything and you know may, you know back in the day people would train you and they would try to make you quit you know and you know they you know beat you up take your money and out the door you go and on to the next but when i was training with al i mean he was meticulous in not only how he trained but you know uh made you understand why it was hard and you know uh he, he kept me, he made me believe in myself. You know, there's a lot of times I wanted to quit and I would roll out a ring and be like, oh, can't do this. And he would be like, you know, all right, calm down, take a breath. And he would he'd just talk to you and get you back in the ring and teach you what you need to be, ta- you know, taught. So it was very, very cool. You know, and, you know, eventually, you know, I, I was with Al for a year and then he said, you know, Hey, it's time for you to uh, go out into the world on your own and learn how to hustle. And I, I got my way into ECW and then Al comes to ECW. Then Al goes to WWE and then eventually I go to WWE and Al's my gateway into WWE through the job squad. So, uh, he's always been a huge part of my life in and out of the ring. Uh, and you know, uh, this was his first WrestleMania match, which it was, yeah, it blew my mind that he, you know, he hadn't had a WrestleMania match, but to this point, but he was like one of those centerpieces around that, that hardcore title, you know, the hardcore title, which now they kind of brought back in the 24 seven title where, you know, people were fighting all over the, the world and stuff like that. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that hardcore title still over, man. Uh, to this day, people still talk about those hardcore title moments and to have it kick off WrestleMania was pretty cool because, you know, you always want to start off the show hot. You know, you always, uh, any show, the most important matches are the, the opening match, 
in the last match, and everything else is peaks and valleys. But you want to start off the show hot, set the tone, and then, you know, peaks and valleys, bring them up, bring them down, bring them up, bring them down, and then leading into the main event when everybody's caught their breath, uh-huh. that's, where, that's where you wear them out for the uh, grand finale, you know, so to speak, with any show. So the fact that they open up with a hardcore match reminds me of, you know, years to come when they would open almost every WrestleMania with a TLC uh uh, money in the bank match. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, you know, following WrestleMania is sometimes the most exciting match would be that opening money in the bank match. You know, it set the tone for the night, you know, something big was going to happen. So, you know, open up with a hardcore match made sense because it was, you're going to start off the show hot and, uh, right. you know, belly gum, you know, was, uh, the champion at the time, which was unique. Uh, he, I, I think a hardcore <laughs> word for it. I don't really think of it. Billy Gunn is hardcore, but hardcore Holly fit into that role, uh, quite well. I think, you know, uh, and he, you know, Bob Holly found his niche with that, that hardcore division. Uh, anyway, I, I popped a little bit cause he came out in like black trunks and black tights. And it's like, you know, uh, everybody's known for getting there, you know, the WrestleMania gear, you know, <laughs> he did not <laughs> he, he did not get his WrestleMania gear on. He just had black boots, black tights. I don't know. Um, I don't know what happened with that, but look, he spent years as Thurman Sparky Plug. He's like, I'm not, I'm not here for the the, the, the bells and whistles anymore. I'm trying to be straightforward now. I'm tired of being a NASCAR guy and the, the whole bells and whistles with the with the gear and all that stuff. I'm I'm just being well, hard. You know, Bo- he was bodacious Bob. Oh, he yeah, could have right. could have stuck with that. Hollywood Bob too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Hollywood Bob Holly and Smoky Mountain. But uh, Bob, man, yeah, he uh, he made a niche for himself with that. That was a perfect. That was a good venue, a uh, good avenue for him to uh, break out. He broke it. You know, like I said, they split up the the job squad, and uh, Bob, you know, got a. You know, he found a niche with that hardcore. You know, the title and became a a name and a, a competitor on the roster. Where you know before he was a little bit lost in the shuffle, but now he had a a reason you know, on the card and stuff like that, you know, with the hardcore championship and those, a lot of those memorable matches. And on this night, he won the hardcore championship for the second time. I wrote that he probably won it 20 more times. Who knows? With the 24-7 rule. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it was a good opener for, at least at this point, it's it's an, in hindsight, it's odd to see the hardcore championship being an opener because, like you said, you see Mike Messi Money in the Bank, or you might see like a big match with like maybe a one-on-one. It's exciting. It's like oh the hardcore championship. And like you said, Billy Gunn is the hardcore champion. Like when I when I think hardcore champions, I don't think Billy Gunn is the one yeah. that comes to mind. But Billy Gunn, Billy Gunn, great performer. Oh uh, yeah. But hardcore division, eh, you know. Right. <laughs> I always look at that hardcore title as the ECW title you know, in WWF and I would get angry. I would get legitimately angry when somebody like a Billy Gunn or even hardcore Holly before he really cemented himself as a a mainstay in the hardcore division. I didn't view him as like a hardcore guy at this time as a fan. So when I I think Al Snow beat him at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, when we did the deep dive on that and I was like, yes, that feels right. Because to me, Al Snow was an ECW guy. Like yeah. he wasn't Lee Cassidy. Like I didn't remember him as that. <laughs> he, it was the ECW crowd that made Al Snow for me. You know, he made a event at WrestlePalooza against Shane Douglas, and even though he lost, like he was an ECW guy to me. So 
it felt right for him to be like hardcore champion or anyone else from ECW that I watched at ECW. So when it was somebody else, I was just like, no, that doesn't make sense. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Al was originally he was penciled in to be ECW champion at Wrestlepalooza, but back and oh. forth behind the scenes stuff, nothing. Mm. Too hard. And that's crazy because Shane Douglas, wasn't he like so beat up? He had like a million injuries at the time. And he, yeah, they, we, we they kept we, the belt on him. Yeah, we told Al he basically lost to a slot machine because you know, <laughs> Shane Douglas only had one arm. You know, yeah, I had, Robert, uh, yeah. Of that. You know, it would have been perfect just to, you know, put the belt on Al and this, you know, have Shane go heal up for a little bit, you know. But uh, Al, was, Al was supposed to be the ECW champion that night. But, you know, okay. that, you know, how, you know backstage stuff works out nothing horrible right. but just like you know volleying back he was in the wwf a few months later right <laughs> yeah pretty much so you know it didn't really hurt al you know because he went back to wwe but you know it would be cool to see al get the ecw belt because he was one of the hottest acts the ecw at, at around that time right Maybe do, do you think they knew and maybe it was like ah let's hold off on giving him the belt because he, he's probably on his way out that, that could have been a factor too maybe that could have been a factor too, but like you know, you hear stories and stuff like that. And right, he said, it is he what said that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. But moving very, on from very Games of Thrones without all the murder, you know, <laughs> <laughs> some blood and guts, but no murder. Yeah, no murder. You know, and and in this hardcore match, we had a Let's Go Flyers chant. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll still grab the hockey go. stick. So there you go. Let's go Flyers. That was the first, first year, by the way. I w- I watched the Flyers, uh, you know, every every day, so or every game. So I was a big Flyers fan at that point. So I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> First Union Center, uh, home of the Flyers and the Sixers. Yeah. Uh, 25th year of the of that building, by the way, of the Wells Fargo Center. First started out as Core State Center. Yeah. Uh, then First Union, then Wachovia, and then now Wells Fargo. So yeah. 25 years of that building. That's going by fast. Wow. I went. Yeah. I went to the very first public event there, uh, which was that- Oasis. Uh, oh. Oasis was the first uh, event there. They had a private event just for employees and stuff like that, I believe. They had a private concert for just employees and staff. But the the first one where they allowed fans into the building was Oasis with uh, Screaming Trees opening up and went to that concert. So that was pretty cool. And it's like, somehow that building's had – it's going by so fast, but that building's had a lot of mainstay. And it's not going anywhere anytime soon, doesn't look like it. They just renovated it like maybe in 2019 into 2020 or something like that. So I don't know. Last time you guys were there. Yeah, when that building was uh, when it was first built and it was Core State Center, people used to call it this. A lot of locals would call it Spectrum Two. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah, like in uh, newspapers and stuff like that. Spectrum Two. Yeah, a lot of old heads would be like, ah, Spectrum Two. I'm going to Spectrum Two to see the uh, Flyers or Sixers. It's like, no, nah, well, it's Core State Center. But, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's Spectrum One now because Spectrum is gone. I mean, it's been, yeah. been gone for a long time too. Yep, yep. Uh, it's crazy to think that some people today don't even know what the Spectrum. They've never even been inside it. Don't even know. Don't even remember it being there. Because remember, for a long time it was still there while the Wells Fargo Center was still up. We, they had both buildings. Yeah. Where I guess where Xfinity Live is, is now is where the Spectrum was, I believe. Yeah. Dude, I just had a memory, and you just jarred a memory. Uh, that okay? The, the Friday before WrestleMania. Okay. Myself, the Headbangers, Paul Bearer, Al Snow, and Al Snow's family went to a Philadelphia Fandoms game at the Spectrum. Nice. <laughs> what a crew, by the way. You said you, the Headbangers, mm-hmm. Paul Bearer, and Al Snow, and Paul you Bearer's just, family. You just jarred a memory out of my my, my 
thick skull. <laughs> like, oh, what did you do, do during the week? I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, Friday night, uh, me, Al's wife, his kids, uh, and the headbangers and Paul Bear went separately, but we just were like, oh, you're here too? So we just all oh. sat together. Uh, I have a friend who's the equipment manager for, well, he, he's with the Flyers now. But he's the equipment. He was the equipment manager for the the uh, Philadelphia Phantoms. Is Philadelphia Phantoms against the Hershey Bears? Nice. Mm. Uh, That's I, like the Austin Rock for the AHL. Pretty <laughs> much, because like they're, 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 they're like anytime somebody on the the Philadelphia Phantoms will like do something or get into a fight, they would play like a WWE theme. There's like a fight. <laughs> And somebody would hit like uh, another. I went to a couple Phantoms games that year. One guy got into a fight, and they would hit the Rock's music, and he would just stand and do the, the do the Rock thing. At, <laughs> you know? So here here's a funny story from that. I, I wish I could remember the guy's name, uh, but you know me, Paul Bear, the Headbangers, Al, and his family are sitting there in our seats, uh, and I guess somebody smartened up the the guys on the team that we were there. So the guy, one guy from the Philadelphia Phantoms just beats the shit out somebody from the Hershey Bears and to the point where he, <laughs> he's hitting the guy, and the guy's just turtling up. He gave up, and he's still on top. It's like a UFC fight. Boom, 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 boom. He's like, yeah. Late years later, maybe a year, two years later, I ran. It, I went to see this band called Bonehead, a local cover band, uh, play over at the Pennant East in New Jersey. And that same player from the philadelphia fans was there to see bonehead and he's like oh yeah i remember you guys came out and we were all excited you were in a crowd and he's like i was in a situation normally i wouldn't have gotten into a fight but i knew you guys were in the crowd so i knew i had to do something <laughs> <laughs> and he purposely had to fight and beat the shit out of the guy just because he knew that, like the wwe guys were in the crowd i love the how you call it the situation like we all saw it happen <laughs> we all saw you fight this guy <laughs> yeah yeah he's like normally it, it I, I wouldn't have got hot, but I knew you guys were in the crowd. I knew I had to do something, you know? <laughs> awesome. I found myself in this predicament, you see. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> nice. they, like, they hit Stone Cold's music or something after the fight or something like that. Nice. So that, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. That's pretty wild. At a Phantoms game. Yeah. yeah. Two nights before WrestleMania. And then WrestleMania rage party one day before. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that, that was the real rage party. Yeah. Get the convention center. It was more raging at the Phantoms game. Yeah, man. Than, than the convention center. But moving on to the second match of the night. Got the WWF tag team titles being defended. Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett defending against D'Lo Brown and Tess. Now, D'Lo Brown and Tess got this title match. Not because they were like some established tag team. Because, of course, you're like, why the hell were they a tag team? It's like, no, they weren't. They were just the last two people that won a battle royal on like heat before yeah. WrestleMania. And they were fighting each other at the end of this battle royal. It's like, no, no, you won. You guys gotta stop fighting each other now. Like yeah. you gotta match you gotta match in like maybe an hour. Like stop fighting each other. Yeah. So they they go up against Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett. And I, I wrote it's a shame. I think I've talked about this before on the podcast that Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart they were a tag team, but they weren't together too long because of course Owen Hart unfortunately passed away right. uh in, in May. But I thought they were actually really good together. I thought we we would have known like we would recognize them as as a more prominent tag team if, of course, Owen Hart hadn't passed away. And I think they might have split up even before that. Um, I'm not totally sure, but they were actually good. pretty good together. Yeah. 
I think I, like they were split, but they were still kind of joined a little bit. Yeah, when that happened. Well, it's kind of like at that moment, uh, you know, DX was still together, but the New Age Outlaws, you know, mm-hmm. Billy Gunn had the Hardcore title, Road Dog had the Intercontinental <laughs> title. They weren't totally split up, but they were on different paths at that. Right. Moment. But uh, Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett were really a, a good team that complemented each other really well. And uh, it also had to do, besides the fact they were great workers, but they had a really deep uh, relationship off camera as well. You know, uh, both being family men, both great fathers to their uh, children and stuff like that. So they had a bond, you know, off camera, which wound up, you know, working its way onto camera too, you know, where they were both heels, but you could tell they they had great chemistry. Yeah, I agree. I thought it's, it's kind of like I was watching, I think we watched St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and then we watched WrestleMania. It's like, damn, Owen Hart and Jeff Jett, they were they were pretty good together. Like, and I don't, you don't think of Jeff Jett as more of, as a tag team guy. I've, yeah. I've always remembered him as a single. And Owen Hart, he's had multiple tag teams, but he was always good. And Owen Hart's one of the greatest of all time, in my opinion. But him and Jeff Jett together, I thought really worked. And I wish they got a longer run uh, together. Uh, but this match was, it was a match. I mean, we got Test WrestleMania debut. Uh, I did not know he was a bodyguard for Molly Crew, but when you look at him, it makes sense. <laughs> he was big jacked up dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want to well, be messing I, with him at all. I think that was just storyline. Uh, uh, what call it? Uh, bodyguard for Molly Crew. That that was the, the storyline. That's how he. Oh. Because yeah. uh, didn't Motley Crew? They played have on, an appearance on Raw. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So they play, and that's how oh. they test. He, he wasn't a shoot bodyguard for Motley Crew, but you know the storyline. That's how they debuted him. Uh, he's from Canada. He, he trained in the. Uh, I want to say he, he trained with the Hearts. Uh, all, and uh, you know Tess no longer with us. Uh, you know total sweetheart of a guy. Uh, I mean it's a shame. I, you know two guys. You know Owen and uh, Tess are no longer with us. But uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, since we're talking about Tess, you know, I mean everybody knows about Owen Hart, but you know Tess, total sweetheart of a guy. Uh, you know, he had a good run the first time around. I think he had an even better run the second time around when he came back with the short hair and it was this monster. Mm-hmm. But uh, I always got along with him. I, I had ma- I had a match with him, you know, uh, around 2002, maybe 2003. The eight man tagged together for a wrestle reunion, and so, so good in the ring timing and everything. And to the point where we got along so well, like he was in town for. Uh, Wizard World in Philly, I would stop by to say hey. And he was doing an independent show. And he was thinking about telling the guys to, you know, to book me so he could just work me on the show and stuff like that. You know, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing on the show. Maybe I'll just have them, you know, have me against you or something like that. But I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Didn't happen, but it was it was nice of him to uh, say that to me, you know. But uh, he he was he's going way too soon. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, everybody, again, you know, Owen was in this match. Owen passed away. Everybody loves Owen. Everybody knows Owen. But Tess was a really good dude, man. He was a really good guy, sweetheart of a man. He he looked like a monster, but deep down, he was, he was a sweetheart. Good guy. That's dope. That's dope, man. Here I am believing everything WWF tells me. He's a bodyguard from Motley Crue. Well, he must, that must be true. <laughs> they, what, they wouldn't just lie to me like that. He looks so, like dude, the Dumpster Jersey was really a garbage man. Exactly. They found him Dune's on the street, the literally. Player. You know, well, they, well, you know, boss man really was like a, a prison guard. This is like back in the day when they, you know, with 
well, what do you do in real life? You know, when they had no ideas, you know, and I'll tell you, you that was one of the more creative ones, a bodyguard from Motley Crue. I I was what? 15, not even 15 years old. And I'm like, Oh, that's okay. (laughs) I'll take it. I bought it. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely bought it. Uh, and this match, this was a quick, you know, nice match. Well worked or whatever. It wasn't nothing crazy. Uh, even though all four guys in the ring were great, and, and I don't have really anything bad to say about either any of the guys involved, especially my guy D'Lo Brown. You know, I love D'Lo Brown, uh, one of the more underrated uh, performers of his era, in my opinion. Um, but it was a match, and Owen Hart and Jeff Hart, Jeff Jarrett, I should say, uh, retained. <laughs> <laughs> Owen Hart and Jeff Hart, you know, the, the long lost Hart brother, Jeff Hart. Yeah. Right. Uh, but Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett retained the tag titles because D'Lo Brown and Tess couldn't get along and they're fighting with each other and Ivory and Deborah are arguing with each other and Terry Reynolds comes out you know she's with PMS I think Jackie was Jacqueline out there too it was a lot going on yeah there's a lot going on it's kind of, I hate to say it because there's so much talent in the ring but it's kind of a throwaway match so to yeah speak. yeah I thought the same thing I was like it was kind of weird for WrestleMania uh you know to have that or see that on a WrestleMania uh not even four minutes long the match and then you know, just the weirdness going into it with Test and D'Lo and then coming out of it. And I was just like, what is going on here? Like, it doesn't yeah. didn't feel like a WrestleMania type moment because uh, I'm so used to WrestleMania finalizing everything. And I was like, I, I was so confused by it. So it was one of the first times I was really confused by a WrestleMania uh, ending. Yeah, it was, like you said, it's just a lot going on. Um, yeah, I just I didn't get the finish at all, but. Like you said, there's so much talent involved, too. Like Jacqueline, Miss Texas, like mm-hmm. Hall of Famer, you know, Jeff Jarrett, Hall of Famer, Owen Hart. He's not technically in the WWE Hall of Fame yet, but he's he a Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's a Hall of Fame. Uh, D'Lo Brown, I think it's worthy, you know, or the Nation of Domination as a group. Worthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. D'Lo is a good uh, dude, man. He's from the area. He's a right. boy. I, I first met him at the Monster Factory a week before I was driving out to train with Al Snow. You know, uh, you know, me and my buddies would go to Monster Factory and pay like 10 bucks to, you know, roll around in the ring and do like backyard type backyard type wrestling and stuff like that. And uh, him and Reckless Youth, Reckless Youth was there. Sorry for stay with the new mouth. Uh, <laughs> and then like months later, I run into D'Lo. He goes through Smoky Mountain. He comes up and he becomes a trainer at Al Snow School after I had left. So, mm-hmm. Our, our, me, me and D'Lo's paths have uh, crossed a lot of times. But, yeah, definitely he's a future Hall of Famer. Absolutely. He ought to be. Like I said, if, if it's not just him alone as part of the nation of domination, let's do it. Yeah, man. Let's do it because that, that was a dope group as well. He was fucking over, you know. Yeah. He was over. I mean, like, people still doing the next shake. Like, come on now. Like, yeah. People still yeah. doing that. And the Euro- even the European title like thing, he's known for that still in 2021. Like it's right. what you, great. The chest protector, like it's great. He's from yeah. a different country in Europe every every week. Yeah. Al Snow used to call uh, DLO Johnny Bench because he wore a chest protector like in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he had one of the dopest frog splashes of all time yeah. too that people don't talk about. For his size, the stuff he was because DLO's a tall dude, man. He's a big dude, and to, to do some of the cruiserweight style he could do at his height. So impressive. So impressive. Yeah. So shout out to D'Lo Brown. Shout out to Tess. Shout out to everybody involved in this match. This match wasn't it, but everybody in this match, like you said, 
talented and, and yep. worthy of, or capable of more, but just wasn't allowed to do it at WrestleMania 15 for whatever reason. Yeah. But moving on, we got, man, we got a lot to talk about here, Meanie. We got the <laughs> bra for all. Man, oh man. For one, did do you did you know Bart Gunn? What kind of guy was Bart Gunn if you if you were familiar with him, if you got you know cross paths Bart, with him? Yeah, Bart's a great guy. Uh I really wasn't around him a lot in WWE. But for the times I was around him, he was always approachable, always respectable or respectful. You know, I was a dude on the roster and you know, you know, a lot of times when you're like I said, you're trying to fight to get that T V time. You know, some guys not aren't, aren't standoffish, but you know they're they're trying to you know get theirs in. But he was always he's always a good dude. I saw him years later at a convention that one of the legends of the ring in uh, Central New Jersey. Still, great guy, man. Uh, a great guy who got put in a tough situation. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. uh, the brawl for all was uh, you know designed to you know as a catalyst for Doctor Steve Williams, Doctor. You know, Jim Ross famously said in the in the back, he's like, "Well, I, you know, it's going to be Steve with Steve Williams and everybody else fighting for second place." And uh, mm. and then you know, unfortunately, Steve William uh, Steve Williams blew out his uh his his knee he blew his knee out. He tore his ACL or whatever. He couldn't continue, and Bart knocked him out. So everybody thought this was kind of like a a receipt for uh, Bart. That that's the theory. I'm not right. Saying the plan but the theory is this might have been punishment for knocking out even if it wasn't actually a punishment this is just you're still leading a lamb to slaughter and poor bart gun well the theory and another theory is bart might have had a chance if they didn't try to train him to be a boxer uh going into brawl for all you know guys were just straight up fighting uh to the point where you know uh when bart gun went to fight uh, Bob Holly and Brawl for All they had a gentleman's agreement, no takedowns. If you're going to knock me out, knock me out. We're just going to punch each other until we knock each other out. Don't, because there was the rules. You can either win by you know knockout or takedowns and get points and stuff like that. Which uh, Dan Severn wound up doing to uh, Mark Marrow. He just kept taking them down, and getting points. You know, right. so you know Bart Gunn and Bob Holly had that gentleman's agreement, no takedowns, and you know. Bart was just knocking guys out because he was just using raw instinct. And I think the mistake they made was had him go into a gym with boxing people and take away his just natural instinct, mm. stuff like that. Cause, uh, Butterbean later on went to say, it's like, as soon as I saw him trying to be a boxer, I knew I had him. And there was a couple of times like before the, you know, the knockout where, you know, Bart on was trying to stick to that boxing technique and he, made the mistake of, you know, turning around and turning his back to Butterbean and Butterbean said that also said that was a, a another tell that he had Bart Gunn where he wanted him. He, you know, Bart Gunn was spinning around trying to stick to being a boxer and not a brawler. You know, if he would just stay, you know, to just go in there, lift weights, hit a heavy bag, you know, you know, get your reps in, throw him punches and not be a boxer. I think he would have had a better chance. I think, he still I think he still would have lost. Because, you know, Butterbeans, you know, been in the game longer. Mm-hmm. I think Bart Gunn could have definitely made it more interesting if he, they had just not put him in the gym with boxing people. Yeah, I felt, like Vaughn said, I felt 
kind of bad for Bart. Uh, I think it was the second season of Dark Side of the Ring. They covered the Brawl for All, and they had Bart on. And it just I watched that, and I feel so bad for him because, I mean, yeah, if I was in his position, I probably would feel like I was being, you know, because I won that they were mad and because uh, their guy didn't win, and they were trying to just – it was like a receipt. So I definitely understand where he's coming from, but I didn't, uh, oh, whole event it, it's kind of interesting to me that they were, you know, they're like, okay, well maybe you'd be better off suited as a, and as a boxer in this particular match than what you did to win the brawl for all tournament, which it's kind of like, well, why don't, it's not the boxer for all tournament. It's the brawl for all. Like, <laughs> like you said, let he was a brawler. Let, let him go with that. But maybe, you know, if he knocks out Butterbean and, maybe something worse happens for him who knows if he knocked out butterbean man people somebody would have came up rich that day in vegas if he knocked out butterbean yeah. that would have there's yeah. no hell no chance in hell to borrow a phrase from vince mcmahon that he was going to knock out butterbean but to meanie's point maybe we had a better chance maybe he would have gotten embarrassed in like what was it 35 seconds or something whatever it was <laughs> yeah yeah that was brutal and to take it backstage there's a, a contention of wwe wrestlers and Butterbean's folks in the back at the monitor. And I heard, I distinctly remember somebody going, yeah, Bart, knock him the fuck out, knock his fat ass out. And then, poof, and then like. <laughs> <laughs> That's messed up, man. A bu- Poor bunch, Bart of guys, bunch of those guys who were yelling that did the uh, Homer, Homer Simpson's, you know, feedback. <laughs> <and> weeds. <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah, knock his ass out. And then, and then it was just like, oh. And then Butterbean's folks looked over at us and it was like, I, I wasn't saying anything. I was like, because uh. Butterbean was nice to me. I was like, ah, easy. He could, he was, Butterbean's a great guy if you meet him, you know? Sure. Uh, but he's also a professional fighter who at this point had like 44 <laughs> fights under his belt. This was the easiest payday of his life, you know, next to knocking Johnny Knoxville out in the Jackass movies, you know, just was uh, hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yesterday. Knox, he, he had Johnny Knoxville snoring. But yeah. uh, uh, can, can I also bring up a, a, a really, I, I brought this up on social media for the brawl for all. They announced the judges beforehand with uh, Chuck Webner, uh, the guy who, uh, well, I'm, I'm getting to that, but the guy who trained okay. Mike Tyson, uh, Rooney, Kevin Kevin Rooney. and then, uh, they introduced, they saved the best for last with gorilla monsoon and I, the, the, the re- reaction and the reception from that crowd is probably the one of the most emotional things I had been around. Um, again, like I said, we we're all in the back at the monitor for this because interesting, you were interested to see it. But like a lot of the boys got emotional when they introduced Gorilla Monsoon and the standing ovation he got from the crowd because I think the crowd was acknowledging this might be the last time they see him. Not only because you know, like they said, you know, Gorilla Monsoon retired. Gorilla was huge for the rest Philadelphia wrestling scene with WWF. Uh, he was from the area. He lived right over the bridge in Collingswood, New Jersey, you know, 10 minutes from my house. And, uh, you know, I think everybody kind of, you know, you looked at Gorilla and you're like, this might be the last time we're seeing him. Mm-hmm. The guy. And in the back, uh, Mike Kyoto, the referee who Gorilla brought into the uh, WWF, really got emotional when he saw the uh, 
cheering is like, you know, fist pumping, like, yeah, you know, clapping, you know, because he was so happy that his mentor was getting his due in essentially his hometown. Yeah, that's the, yeah, I, I really, uh, noted that too. The gorilla got one of the honestly one of the biggest pops of the night when he got that, introduced. That moment was deeper than anybody could imagine between the crowd reaction and the crowd reaction, the, the reaction of the boys watching on the monitor. That that is a, a down low, uh, on a down low type of uh, emotional moment that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I had to bring it up. But like, I, like I said, I was rewatching WrestleMania 15 for this and I, I took a photo of my, my TV screen and put it up. I was like, this is probably one of the most emotional moments of the night, you know, that a lot of people really don't talk about, but I had to point it out, you know? Yeah. No, thank you for pointing it out. Cause oh. I, like I said, I noticed it and, uh, Nick, I'm sure you did too, that, mm-hmm. Gorilla got a very uh, warm ovation from the fans in Philly. Same for Jim Ross later tonight too, when he got introduced. Absolutely. Turn the TV. They they definitely uh, showed their appreciation. I think about Philly, man. People give us a bad rap, but when we appreciate somebody, we appreciate big. You hey, know, man. like and people know. <laughs> people yeah. know. They see hey, it. We we cheered Mario Lemieux when he came back from cancer. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, people want to talk about we oh you threw snowballs at Santa, but Ma- Mario Mario Lemieux was battling cancer, and one of his first games back as a Penguin was in Philadelphia. We gave him a standing ovation, and nobody right. as we should. Yeah, right. Yep. Same thing with like Kobe and his one of his last games here. He got a standing O. I think Jordan like guys used to kill us from the court, but like hey man, like it's all it's still all love at the end of the day. Like there are some times when Philly fans can be a little rambunctious, you know. But for the most part, like I said, when we we show our appreciation and we show our love, you there's no mistaking it, and we show it in a in a big way. So sometimes we pay the price for a couple knuckleheads, but yeah. right. the, the majority of the fan base is good. But there's those couple knuckleheads that people love to get attention to. Mm. Right. And even in more recent memory, the Phillies uh, uh, 2018, where uh, they won the World Series and players got traded away, they come back. They take, you know, they get in the batter's box and they have to wait a, a few minutes because the crowd's cheering. They give them you know, the tip of the helmet. You know, that's us. That's us to a T. And like Meanie said, we pay the price for a couple of knuckleheads. And that's unfortunately what makes the headlines. Yep. That sells paper. Yeah. Oh, or, yeah. If it, or, or if it leads, paper. it leads. Yep. 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 So uh, hopefully, I don't know if uh, Bart Gunn was bleeding on this night, but. I wouldn't be surprised if he was, man. Cause well, and also the, the the you know the one of the first people to check on Bark Gun was Gorilla Monsoon. You yeah. See Gorilla Monsoon, you know, come to the ringside and check on Bark Gun because Gorilla's that type of guy, you know, checking on the boys. Not only was he one of the boys, he was he created, you know, he he promoted wrestling, and here he is checking on one of the you know one of his uh, fellow wrestlers. You know, he was one. He was there right there with the doctors checking on Bark. Yeah, Bart honestly, and I wrote this. He should have been TKO'd after the first knockdown. It was clear that he wasn't ready to go back and fight. I don't think he was even up for the eight count. Like he, he was probably up on his feet, but he wasn't. It was more like how to do last man standing matches where you just kind of get to your tippy toes at nine and they're like, all right, you're good. Like, but in real boxing, you got to be there at eight. Well, I think if you would have had a real boxing ref in there instead of a, an actual boxer who. Uh, an actual right, right. boxer goes, right. oh, he can tough it out, rub some dirt on. But if he had an actual an impartial official on there, you know, who can call it right down the line, I think an, an, a real boxing official would have said, oh, nope, that's good. Right. 
And that boxer was Vinny Paz. So P- Vinny Paz Pazienza, as he was on this night, but now he's just Vinny yeah. Paz. Yeah. 50, he went 50 and 10 in his career, lightweight champion, middleweight champion, and super middleweight champion. So he, he was a known boxer, but like you said, not an actual official. So yeah. he's probably going to lean more like, all right, I'll let him fight it out. But in reality, it was like 20 seconds in, and Bargain was already down. And when he stood up, he, a real official would have felt his gloves and been like, nope, can't do it. But yep. Vinny passed, like, go ahead and do it, man. And <laughs> that was a mistake because 15 seconds later, Butterbean Daniel knocks Bart Gunn's head off his shoulders. Yeah. And Bart just goes tumbling down to the mat. It was awful. Like, it was it's on, honestly awful to see. Like, I mean, I remember seeing Pass asking Bart Gunn if he was good. And Bart Gunn, it's like, he's a fighter. So he's like, yeah, I'm good. He wasn't. All right. Because it wasn't long later he got put down. Um, it, it was it was rough. It was rough to watch. And like I said, poor Buck. You can't, you can't help but feel bad for Bart Gunn. Yeah. Like, they look like they're going to haul this man off to the nearest morgue after <laughs> fighting. After fighting, his, for one, his, for one, he's Butterbean's a professional fighter. Oh, by the way, he outweighs him by like 150 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Like if this was actual boxing, they would have had a different weight class for this whole thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. They would have, they, they hauled him off the Rockies, uh, meat case to put him on ice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming most of the boys backstage was like, damn. Look well, what like I said, was, yeah. Like I said, they were all like, knock him out, Barton, and then <laughs> and everybody slowly faded off into the background. You know? Oh, I gotta I gotta get ready for my match. Like you already had your match. Well, I gotta get ready for another one. <laughs> like the fellow it's like the fellas at the strip clubs when the guy goes, Okay guys, now throw some money on the stage and like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> nope. everybody's at the stage until it's time to throw some money up. Yeah. Uh then after the match, which was this is kinda weird, the San Diego chicken runs out and yep. messes with Vinny Paz and Paz punches him punches him in the beak and that's the end of that. I, I, thought, I don't know why this I happened. thought the knockout was uncomfortable until I saw the uh, San Diego chicken no sell the punch and get back up and start <laughs> dancing again. I was like oh. <laughs> I, a, I, definitely I, had so I had to fast forward that. That was so uncomfortable. <laughs> he was like, oh, it's just, I, I just got stunned. He, he got knocked out. He did the nasty plunge bump and then he gets back up and he starts, he's, you know, trying to goose Finney Paz. And I'm like, Finney Paz is going to knock this motherfucker out for real now. They no soul. Yeah. Oh. Now that wasn't Pete Rose, right? Oh, <laughs> God, no. I, I wish I knew who was in that outfit. I don't know. I don't know. Probably one of the boys were like, ah, oh, let me rib this jabroni, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but who knows? I don't know. Move on to Mankind and Big Show. Uh, this is for, not really for anything other than to, for the right to be the special referee in the main event, which was yeah. bizarre. Yes. Um, they fought earlier backstage. It was funny to see Steve Austin kind of in the back, like, looking and, like, not doing anything. It's like, oh, I'm going to go yeah. mind my business here. <laughs> Just going to mind my business as this happening, but... Uh, Big Show is his first WrestleMania. He has the trunks on, which is always an odd look for Big Show. Uh, he needs a singlet. I don't, I don't like coming in the trunks. Um, he had didn't even have his own theme song yet. He's still using the corporation theme at this point. Yeah. And I put that Mankind got a lot of offense on Big Show early on in this match. Like, way too much offense on him. And it's like, from the very beginning, WWE didn't know how to book Big Show. Like, literally from day one. Yeah, you got Mick Foley just beating the hell out of Big Show right from the start. 
Yeah. And I, I some of that, and, and I've listened to a lot of Big Show's interviews over the years, some of that was also Big Show's inexperience because he didn't, he talks about how he didn't know how to work like a true giant yet. And that Undertaker had to kind of take him under his wing to teach him how to work like a giant. Yeah. But before that, he would just let guys like Mick Foley or Steve Austin and other guys who were smaller than him just tee off on him. And it's like, no, you are seven feet tall. <laughs> like, if you don't want them to hit you, they, they're not going to hit you. <laughs> like, you can stop goes, them whatever WC, you want. That goes back to WCW with allowing guys to, you know, powerbomb them and do stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. Stuff like yeah. Just, and, and sometimes I fall, not that I'm seven foot, but sometimes I fall into a trap of not knowing my own height. You know, like, I'll, I'll see myself, I'll look at somebody and it doesn't register how much taller I am until I'm like, in front of a mirror and I see myself next to the person, the person's up to my shoulder. I'm like, Oh, well, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I'm kind of tall. So, uh, he, he was a giant. He was a, a, a lucha. He was a, uh, cruiserweight in a giant's body, so to speak. He, he tried to do all this cruiserweight stuff, but you know, no dude, you're a giant, you know, like a literal giant. Not like he's just six, eight. No, no, he was, had the disease of giantism and had to get the surgery like an actual legit giant walking this planet like yeah he to... it, it's like that movie fletch uh six 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 eight with the afro uh you know <laughs> <laughs> right you know but so, yeah he, yeah they, yeah he was bumping a lo- uh, around a lot and stuff like that and uh again it was one of those matches you know the right to be the official later on which you know they led to uh you know, it led to uh, McFoley, uh, you know, getting stretchered out because, you know, uh, Big Show, he was on the Big Show's back and Big Show did the nasty plunge. Oh, my God. Which, that looked painful as hell. Yeah. I was, I was actually. I cringed. I was like, oh. I want to say I was at the gorilla position for that one. I might have been peeking through the curtain on that one because I remember just the, the, the groan from the crowd, which I don't think does justice on TV, but just uh Oh, when that happens through yeah. the, the crowd, this hearing that, you know, you're like, man, you know, he's got to go change his underwear on that one. Um, oh just, but, and, uh, I, I don't even know how I, I, I'm, you know, there's a lot of reasons in a lot of ways, you know, that, that stretcher ride, stretcher ride could have been the shoot, you know, just, yeah, <laughs> real. you know, but, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, one of those, one of those matches where, uh, it was a match on the card for, Later on that night, to set up later on uh, a segment later on that night, was it was it you know memorable? Eh, who knows? But uh, I would say no. For me, the most memorable part was watching Big Show get arrested later, and all my all my friends on the independent scene getting a, a WrestleMania payday, dressing up as cops to uh, arrest them. You know. But when they when they squeeze Big Show into this tiny little car. Yeah. <laughs> I know he had to be super uncomfortable to squeeze back there, hunched over. Oh my God, I would have had to lay down <laughs> if I was him. <laughs> my, my knees are screaming watching him getting uh, in the back seat of that car, and you know, I'm not that big. No, oh, yeah, that was that looked that looked rough for Big Show. But the, the end of this match comes, Big Show gets disqualified because uh, he choke slams Mankind through a couple chairs, so more back pain for Mankind after he got 500 pounds dumped on him from Big Show. Yeah. Now he gets choke slammed through a, through two chairs. Uh, so Big Show disqualified. Vince comes out and yells at Big Show. Big Show almost turns on Vince, then he didn't, and then he did. So, <laughs> like, so, so uh, 
you know, Mankind's being taken to the hospital. Vince is like, I want to call the cops on Big Show. So I was like, don't call him Vince McMahon anymore. Let's call him Karen McMahon. I'm, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> Karen McMahon now. Well, well, his middle name is K, so maybe it could be Vince McMahon. There, there you go. Uh, Might be on to something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not but, Kennedy. It, it's, that's another thing about this era of wrestling is a little bit confusing because Vince is kind of like the Vince is the heel here, but later on he's kind of the babyface versus Undertaker, you know? Yeah. Where like yeah, they're yeah. hot shotting a lot of things and they got so many wheels spinning that like one moment one guy's a baby face and another moment he's a heel or and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So Yeah, when and me as a fan growing up in a particular face heel dynamic, traditional yeah. wrestling, I was confused as like a fourteen year old kid and I'm like, What should I should I feel bad for him or like cheer the Undertaker because even though he's evil and yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a church person right now because my parents made me go to church. Like, do I feel bad? Like, what's going on? And then I was like, no, he's definitely the, the bad guy and like with Austin and Big Show right now. So like, it was just a strange dynamic going on at the time of the WWF. Absolutely. Bro, bro. Shades of gray, bro. Shades yeah. of gray. Yeah. They're, they're just characters. No good guys with bad guys, bro. Oh, my God. <laughs> just shades of gray, man. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Shades of Grey You're listening to The Straight Shooters Featuring Vaughn Johnson and Nick Picone Giving you the best and worst In the world of professional wrestling Past and present The Straight Shooters Podcast is available On Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify Pandora iHeartRadio the Radio.com app, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. You can become a patron of The Straight Shooters for only $2 per month by signing up at Patreon.com forward slash Shooters Radio. You'll get exclusive content never before heard from two of the best. You can also listen to classic episodes of The Straight Shooters at ShootersRadio.com. Moving on, we have the WWE Intercontinental Championship. Yes. We got Road Dog defending against Ken Shamrock, Val Venus, and Goldust. But with Goldust as the man of the hour, the tower of power, he's supposed <laughs> to be sour. The Blue Meanie. Randy Savage? Oh. <laughs> Not yet, but the Blue Meanie with Ryan Shamrock as well. Uh, all right, so Meanie, take me, walk me through it. What's it like? You're at that curtain, at the gorilla position, and you walk out, and it's WrestleMania. Dude, you could tell I was excited because I ran out well before Goldust and wound up having to stop in my <laughs> tracks and go, oh, yeah, Goldust is like 20 feet behind me. And you see me kind of stand still, and Goldust walks by me, and I start you know, bitching at Ryan Shamrock, who I'm jealous of because Goldust is showing her more attention than myself at the time. Uh, yeah, man, uh, just talk about, you know, thankfully I, I had prior, prior experience, you know, with doing live events, but you know, you're, you're live on WrestleMania, man. And you know how many eyeball, you know, I mean, there's, you know, over 20,000 people in attendance. I'm sure somebody will fact check me. Well, actually the paint attendance was, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's millions of people watching at home and then there's start the pressure of, you know, you're sitting on, in the locker room and you hear somebody go, yeah, this is the highest paid, you know, highest purchased WrestleMania ever to the, to date, you know, for shoot. And you're just like, 
oh man, don't screw up. Don't screw up. And, uh, my whole point was like, to, you know, I'm not in the match, but I want to be acknowledged during the match, but also doing a way where I'm not taking away from the match. So there's a plenty of times where I knew where I had to position myself, not only for myself, but for Ryan, uh, because she had a spot, you know, towards the end of the match and I had to kind of make sure and not, you know, that she wasn't capable of remembering kind of coach her along on stuff to do. Or if, if you're watching me at ringside, you kind of see me side speaking out of the side of my mouth, you go, all right, here, here, you know, this, uh, you know, kind of, you know, coach her along and stuff like that. But, um, it's important, you know, there's a lost art to being like a manager or a second or a valet in uh, wrestling because you got to also be a part of the match. But like I said, not take away from the match. And uh, there's a couple of times when they're like near falls and stuff like that. I kind of make it look like I want to sneak into the ring and be mischievous. And, and thank God, you know, yeah, Lawler on the, on the mic, you know, be able to pick up on that. Cause see that idiot at the blue mini trying to slide in the ring, you know, stuff like that. You know, <laughs> he, he just, definitely got his licks in on you on, on, on commentary. <laughs> he, he made sure to get his licks in on you a lot. Fine by me, man. It's, 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 like you said, say what you want about me. Say, spell my name right. Or, you know, just say my name, you know, say my name. And uh, I made it a point for him. I was like, I'm not in this match, but they're going to be saying my name. And there's times where I would run by the mouse table and just like, you know, you know, make a face at him. Like, this, he's an idiot at ringside, you know, or whatever. Just say my name, you know. So, um and again, I tried to do it in a way that didn't take away. And, uh, yeah, just ner- bundle of nerves, but good nerves. And they always say, like, you know, if, if you go, you're about to go to the ring and you don't feel like a little bit of butterflies, then there's something wrong, man. Yeah. It, and it doesn't mean you, you're, you're scared, but it means you care and, you know, and stuff like that. So, like I said, hometown, uh, my hometown biggest show of the year and i'm in a feature match for the uh one of the major titles the intercontinental title it's awesome you know and then you know later on you know the next night you know we would be involved on raw on a live raw you know gold dust first road dog for the intercontinental belt which you know i had a hand in you know the title changing hands the next night so uh i'm a part of that intercontinental intercontinental lineage so to speak you know but the, on this night, you know, like I said, Super Bowl's in my hometown. I'm a, I'm on the team, you know. I'm I, I'm getting them. I might not be in the uh, the uh, you know the Philly special, but I'm uh, I'm on the line. I'm on the on the uh, the line of the defense or the offense, whichever you prefer. So, yeah, to use a sports analogy, you know, I I was going to make sure I made some kind of impact. Right, right. That's dope. You get to walk out there in your hometown. Uh, take part in this match, uh, Ryan Shamrock. Well, they had one. Well, they had this weird, like, was it the tag team rules? Like, you can tag in and out of the match, which I found kind of weird. Uh, I, I didn't like style. I didn't like the concept of the match. I thought, yeah, in my mind, it should have been like, you know, like if every man for himself in the match, right? You know, rolling around, you know. Why would you, if you have the upper hand and you're you're just about to beat a guy? Why you? Why would you tag out to let somebody come in and potentially, you know? So, I, yeah, you know, benefit from the work you did, you know. <laughs> this was, was this this was tactic 
was this an elimination match? It was an elimination yes. match. Yeah. So it was like before the Fatal Four Way concept really took over, at least in WWE. So I, I thought that was weird too. I noticed like they called it a Four Corners match. Like it, the 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 language was different. So uh, I guess that's how you know they wanted to book it, but uh, you know that's how it was. I, I did. Fi- I was like, oh yeah, like. It's never always been the fatal four way because now I'm so used to that. It's, it's like it's never always been a triple threat. You know, it used to be like uh, three way elimination matches. That was like huge at ECW. I know like uh, Paul Heyman did a lot of three way dance elimination type matches, and I, that's what I liked. Even in WCW, I think they kind of did that too. So uh, this was this was like different. You know, looking back and. My first thought was, oh, this is Fatal 4-Way, but no, it's Four Corners Elimination Match, which is different, so. Yeah. <laughs> Not <know>. better, though, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, no, yeah, that's, no. <laughs> in, in a way, this is kind of Vince's way of getting everybody a payday, because, you know, every now and then he would throw in the, the Battle Royal to make sure everybody got a spot yeah. on Mania show. So uh, how do we get more guys on the card so they could get this payoff? Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll do a Four Corners match and stuff like that, so. That's only logic I could think to. You gotta get the meanie on the card. Find a way. Hey man, I'm not complaining. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not complaining. Uh, again, I I'm not a big fan of you know four corners where you tag in and out. You know, I just did this spectacular move. Let me tag out so that somebody else can pin them. Right. You know what I'm saying? So uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that, but I'm a big fan of uh, being on WrestleMania. So. <laughs> right. Know. There's a there's a there's a fifty fifty proposition in there. Sorry, right, you're not gonna complain too much when you you know when you're on WrestleMania. It's like four corners. We have eight corners. I don't give a damn. Just put me on the on the card. Say my name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> say my name. Say my name. Like Destiny's Child. Say my name, man. Just, just Absolutely, man. Shame <laughs> they weren't on a rage party, you know. <laughs> uh, eventually, Ryan Shamrock uh, grabs Goldust's leg by accident. Calls him to lose and get pinned, and you and Goldust turn on Ryan Shamrock. So you pretty much get your wish as you know the character Blue Meanie. He's like, we ixnay Ryan Shamrock, and it's just me and Goldie moving forward. So yeah, man, I I won his affection. You know, ah, ha, ha, I showed you, and I'm just like, ha ha, told you, told you she was no good, and uh, <laughs> yeah, she uh, cried off into the uh, sunset, and uh, me and Goldust may not have won. But uh, I want his affection. So uh, it's funny, you know, because Goldust, I mean, didn't win the match. Road Dog won the match, retained the title. But right. in that match, me and Goldust were the last two people on the screen leading, you know, throughout the, the match. So we didn't win, but we, we kind of won, but we didn't win. So, to right. speak. you know, we, we were the last two walking off screen as, as far as that match was concerned. Right. What was it like when you got backstage knowing that? I just made an appearance at WrestleMania. It was kind of like, you know, when you saw me invaded raw, I get off stage and you kind of digest what just happened and get with all the parties involved and say, thank you. And, you know, and, and just, uh, go over what we just did. It wasn't, we, we, we weren't, you know, too like, okay, you could have done this or that. It's just like, Hey, thank you. We made it through the match and, you know, kind of went about our, we kind of talked about the match for like a minute or two and then just kind of just went our own ways. And I went to the locker room, got changed, wanted to watch the rest of the show. And like I said, there's a point where I got changed and went up to the uh, the family's lounge. Uh, 
and watch some of the show from up there. And then, uh, you know, I don't want to seem like I, you know, I don't want to look like I slid out the back door. So I went back down in some FaceTime amongst the, uh, the boys in the office. So I, I don't want anybody to go, oh, me, there's match. And he left, you know, <laughs> I, no, no, no. I just went up to say hi to my family and then, you know, I'm here again. So, you know, show some FaceTime in the locker room. So, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, just a matter of, you know, uh, absorbing it, digesting it and then realizing, you know, how big of a, a deal that was stuff like that, but also balancing, checking on family upstairs, make sure they're okay. And then come back down and watch the rest of the show, which I think I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I watched from yeah, the, the TV locker rooms, you know, there's the main locker room where everybody gets dressed and there's a TV locker room where they might do a backstage promo and stuff like that, where they got a monitor and stuff like that. Right. Like I think I found one of the TV locker rooms where guys would float in and out and watch and stuff like that. So, yeah, there, there, I think I, there was a moment where the rock came in and started watching, watching some of the show and, and stuff like that. And then he got, he had to, you know, powder off and get ready for his match and stuff like that. So. Okay. Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. That's a WrestleMania moment for blue me <laughs> in Philadelphia. Uh, We'll kind of go through the rest of the show a little bit, kind of quickly here, because I know you got to get out of here soon. Uh, next in the card, we got Triple H and Kane, uh, which would sound like a much bigger match today, but this is just another match at WrestleMania back in '99. Kane, of course, one of the newest inductees into the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2021. Well deserved. Definitely well deserved. Uh, but before he gets into the ring, he gets attacked by the San Diego Chicken <laughs> again. Which I'm surprised uh, but, Vinny Panzian didn't take care of him for uh, no selling the uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But he comes out again. But this time it's not the San Diego Chicken. It's Pete Rose, Charlie Hustle himself, comes yeah. out. He gets a tombstone for his troubles. Um, this is the second year in a row that Pete Rose did this. He did this at WrestleMania 14 when he was making fun of they Boston. Had and, trilogy. They had their own trilogy. You know, right. Pete he came was, out again the next year, right in, in 2000. Yes. <laughs> Pete Rose. What a what a, what a time. Um, <laughs> then I mean, Lawler said that Rose is so loopy. He was looking for Marge Shot, who you, nobody knows who Marge Shot is. Look her up. She's one of the most racist sports owners of all time. She yeah. owned Cincinnati Reds back in the day, and whoo, she was a doozy. So, uh, but of course, this match really leads up to China turning on Kane to seemingly rejoin Triple H and DX, but oh, not quite. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but how did this match end? I forget. Triple H hit Kane with a chair, hit him with a pedigree. I think somebody got disqualified at this match or something like that. I remember the it, result. It was another uh, weird time when uh, you really didn't know who the baby faces or heels were because, right. you know, uh, Kane should have been the baby face in this match, uh, you know, given that, you know, uh, you know, Triple H has accidentally shot China with a, the flame flower and stuff like that. And then, then China turns on Kane and is the he Kane's also in the corporation, which is this big evil corporation. Like, right. So, and that, you know, again, the shades of gray, bro, you know, where things are a little <laughs> bit confusing. Who's the baby face? Who's the heel? China turns on Kane, but Kane should be the baby face, but he's part of a heel faction. And then later, you know, Triple H and China get this baby face pop for doing essentially what they should get booed for doing this, you know, for reuniting. But they should have been booed for turning on Kane. Exactly. So, yeah, a little bit confusing. 
And China <laughs> hit Kane with the chair to, to, to complete the turn, got Triple H disqualified, but nobody remembers that. I didn't even remember that. I had to look it up myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> move on. Kevin Kelly interviews Vince McMahon. He says, I'm going to be the special guest referee. And his, only his Vince McMahon's voice can he do it. And his real deep and raspy voice. Um, then we move on to the WWE Women's Championship. We got Sable going against Tori. I had no idea that Tori was the Max Lady from No Way Out 2001. I don't like we talked we, we watched No Way Out 2001 a couple weeks back, and they had this Max Lady out there. And I was like, who the hell was that lady? And yeah. I looked up Tori's bio. I was like, oh, she was. <laughs> I didn't know that was Tori. So, how about that? Uh, this match was rough. I'm, I'm sorry. Like no yeah. disrespect to Sable and Tori. Yeah, this nah. match was a rough watch. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, this one was a hard watch. Uh, pretty sure I fast forwarded through it. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. But Nicole Nicole Bass showed up. Uh, the, the, the one big thing that came out of this match was Nicole Bass's uh, debut. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. which uh, I always anytime I think see Nicole Bass, I crack up. I think of Joey Styles. He goes, they Joey Styles would say they call Nicole Bass Russia because she's so much bigger than China. Uh, so. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but, uh, that's a good thing I have to say about that. So, yeah. Next match. Yeah, next match. <laughs> WWF European Championship. Shane McMahon defending against X Pac. Uh, before the match, we had a promo with DX looking like they're one big happy family again. Sigh, because the match ends with Triple H turns on X Pac yeah. and joins the corporation with China. So, DX is officially like disbanded, essentially. Uh, even though Road Dog and Billy Gunn and X-Pac are on the same page, but that's not DX. You can't have DX without Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Come on. And China? You can't have that. So, yeah. um, I know that they said that X-Pac was a product of the streets, and I was like, well, is he? was he really? And I, then I looked up into his background. I was like, oh, yeah, he was. Like, he had a really rough childhood. Yeah. Um, he he did, it, and thank, thankfully for wrestling, wrestling found him and uh, gave him a, you know, gave him an avenue, you know, to... Yeah kind of get off the streets and have a, a a really good life so yeah he he definitely had a rough childhood but uh yeah and like i said this was like the part of the show where i was up in the family lounge and watched uh triple h turn on x-pac which it like like you said is eventually pretty much split the you know, splinter dx right um and we get uh and with that, that happening of course, X-Pac just recently got re- he got inducted finally into the WWE Hall of Fame. He was elected last year, supposed to be part of last year's class, but of course that didn't happen because of the pandemic. He showed off his dope shoes on Twitter too. Them shows them shoes was dope with the six ball on the back. I'm like, oh, those ones is fire. So he got officially inducted. I think they had the ceremony like a couple days ago. So I guess they were aired that at some point. Uh, so congratulations to Sean Waltman on getting inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, but yeah, that was this match. I mean, we got to look at the Mean Street Posse. Those guys. Yeah, I love Rodney and uh, Pete Gass. Uh, yeah, they, they, they're at ringside. Too. I always wonder what happened to the rest of the posse, but, uh, you know. I don't know. I, I'm still glad uh, I saw Pete Gass in my life. Uh, he, he was He's a very good dude. He uh, mentioned me in his uh, book, uh, Counting the Lights, because uh, I was one of the guys who actually helped him relax during the match. You know, we had a back in the, w, back in the day, WWE would let you do uh, independence. And we we're on a match, and I, he put me in a in an arm hold, and I reached in my back, in my uh, my, my Daisy Duke pocket, and flipped in a pair of uh, belly buck buck teeth. And I turn around, <laughs> and I'm like oh, and like he he just 
start losing it and he had to kind of like put his face in the shirt <laughs> so next night we had a rematch and he went out and found his own parent tried to rip me back he's but he mentions in his book he was like at that moment i learned that you could have fun during a match and it wasn't really the crowd it was between me and him and the crowd didn't really even pick up on it but it was like a moment between me and him where he was like that's when i learned to kind of like relax during a match and you know still mm. have fun you know so it's pretty cool that's dope. Shout out to Pete Gash. Shout out to the Mean Street Posse, who I think was the scariest faction in WWE history. Because what's scarier than three rich white kids who are angry and, and aggressive? <laughs> like, <laughs> at least for me, they're scary for me. But um, we move on to the Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and The Big Boss Man. Uh, I love this version of The Undertaker personally. Yeah. This Ministry of Darkness Undertaker. I know some people would like the, the American Badass version better or the traditional version, but this guy, I don't know what it was about him being a supervillain that wanted to own the WWF. <laughs> like, what that was about it that I liked it so much, but I loved it for whatever reason. But he wanted stock. He knew it was going public, right? <laughs> Undertaker wasn't yeah. stupid. <laughs> so, of course, this match, the match itself was forgettable, but we talk about the after the match with this one when it comes to the brood repelling down from the from the rafters, hooking up Big Boss Man to, I mean, in reality, it's like a harness, but in storyline, it's a noose. Yeah. And they lynch Big Boss Man in the middle of the ring. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those moments where, like, you want to have a WrestleMania moment, but you also don't want to. Because basically they hang Big Boss Man in the middle of the ring and then they cut away and go. Well, early on tonight, <laughs> we witnessed a murder. You killed this man. Michael Cole's like, is this a simple? Ring, and then Michael right. Cole goes, well, earlier in the night, and it's like, we just totally forgot what we just watched. What you just, what just happened, you probably could have ended a, a weekly show with and done like, oh my God, what, you know, leave people hanging, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those things I hated. I, you know, I love that era, but there's things like that. It just makes you hate the era as, as well. And, and like Nick said, yeah, Michael Cole, probably straight from Vince McMahon's mouth, but out of Cole's mouth too. Is it symbolic? Could it be symbolic? It's like symbolic. What's symbolic about killing this man? There's nothing <laughs> symbolic about it. He's dead, supposedly. That man's got a family, damn it. <laughs> hey, could it be symbolic? What? This revenge for nails? I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't know, man. This was wild. It's just, I, plus, then I'm black, and I'm like, every time I see somebody get hanged or lynched, I'm like, oh, like, I always get feel weird about that, yeah. you know, because the country we've lived in for, you know, our entire lives, they've done stuff like that in the past. So this didn't have no racial overtones to it, but it still always makes me go get queasy when I see that news hanging down uh, from the ring. But is it symbolic? That's what everybody wants to know. Yeah, I think they want to know if Big Boss Man is alive. Yeah, like, that's isn't, uh, you won't see it in one of those WrestleMania highlight packages. Like, uh, no, no, no. WrestleMania 15, we saw this. Like, uh, yeah. we saw the symbolic hanging. It, it's something that's that meant so much was just a a throwaway moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was probably on Raw the next night. Yeah, right. And then, like you said, Meanie Cole just goes to a recap of the Rage Party. <laughs> like, like. <laughs> You gotta get things. that in though. You gotta yeah. get the race party recap. So, so embarrassing. So just like, <laughs> oh my god. 
Oh, my God. So now we move on to the main event of the evening. We move on from that embarrassment. Yeah. We're pretty much here for. We're here for the main event, of course, WWE Championship, The Rock versus Steve Austin. When JR gets seated, though, before the match, when JR gets seated, we see behind him, we see The Rock's mother, Ada, and his then wife, now business partner, Danny Garcia, behind him, who yeah. they've gone into some hella business together, including buying the XFL. So. And then they got their own sitcom on uh, NBC, uh, The yeah. Young Rock, and they're doing fantastic. But talk about a, you, know, you have a relationship, but it's more successful after the marriage. You know, they're still right. together, you know. Yeah. That's right. a testament to, uh, you know, learning how to work with people. You know, even yeah. you know, things don't work out, you still find a way to work work together. Yeah, and especially when there's money involved, too. That can make things get uglier. But yet, it's yeah. blossomed into uh, crazy ventures. that they got. Like I said, they own a football league now. Danny Garcia, a woman owning a football league, tra- blazing trails. Like, I know The Rock always talking about he used to trail blazing eyebrow raisin, but shout out to Danny Garcia as well. She's doing some things out here. Um, Vince McMahon comes out, all jacked up, ready to referee the match. But he gets stopped by Shawn Michaels, who is a commissioner, and apparently... Only the commissioner can appoint referees. Did not know that was in the WWE bylaws until WrestleMania 15, but now we know. Yeah. Uh, I don't. They don't have a commissioner these days, but back in '99, they did, and of course that referee became, referee became Mike Yoda. Mike Yoda. So. Mike Yoda, so. uh, local product here of uh, Jersey, and like I said, uh, Gorilla Monsoon broke him into the business, and one of the best referees to uh, ever lace up a pair of boots. I put in storyline. Oh. Why would Vince McMahon make a degenerate like Shawn Michaels a commissioner? Like Shawn Michaels is known for being a degenerate. <laughs> like that was his character. And he gives him the responsibility. Him. He was the cor- he was in the corporation. He thought he changed him. Yeah, I guess. It's the <laughs> only way that you can actually explain that, because <laughs> yeah, he's a degenerate. He's going to turn on you eventually. But Vince McMahon's so egotistical. He didn't think that would happen. Well, it it probably did, but. <laughs> We get into the match. I like how the Rock gets into the ring and immediately tries to slap Kyoto in the face. I always I thought that was really funny. And then we get to the actual start of the match, which I always thought this was a great start to the match where you got the Rock cutting off Steve Austin from going to the next ring post. And he's like getting in his way, getting in his way. And then Austin is just like, okay. And they just start throwing punches right then and there. It's like, and we're off. Yeah, that's like, how you start a show, so, match. That, that made so much sense because, you know, you know, I, one of the key things of Austin's entrance is doing the four corners. And mm-hmm. these guys were, I mean, these two guys are number one starting quarterbacks for their opposing teams, so to speak, if I could use that analogy. Rock said, nah, nah, you're, you're not going to cross this line. And then they, they, they start throwing hands. They start, up this, you know, start throwing rounds and, uh, brought, you know, it's a, it's a fight. It's a fight everybody paid to see, you know, you know, came to see, paid to see. Yeah. And they fight into the stands, which you don't usually see in a, in a main event of WrestleMania. Yeah. Uh, they're fighting all over the arena. Referees getting knocked out. Kyoto got hit by a chair. Uh, Tim White replaces him. The Rock puts Tim White in the rock bottom. <laughs> I'm tired of you. <laughs> that brings out Mick Foley. Then uh, Vince McMahon comes out and he's in the full suit again. And he's we got like four, three or four ref bumps. He knocks out our Hebner. It's all oh, hell is breaking loose in this match. Um, I thought ref like multiple ref bumps per match were only reserved for WCW, but nope, we got him here in WWF too. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the night, we know the finish. Austin hits a son, it's a stunner. The Rock 
who I think is the best seller of the stunner uh, any uh, on the planet. Like he can do a backflip at the hit taking a stunner. He does the big sell. Austin pins him one two three, and Austin is your new World Wrestling Federation champion. Austin drinks a lot of beer, shares some with Earl Hebner, who I don't know if you knew this. Meanie, it's like Nick Nick's least favorite referee. He's my he arch nemesis. He's my arch nemesis. Baby Earl. Baby Earl, exactly. Leave <laughs> Baby a, Earl alone. He, man. he says Baby Earl. I just he's in the spotlight. He's like he wants that spotlight. It's like he's the champion. Like no Earl. I, I because you know he originally screwed. He was the you know screwed Brad. He screwed Hogan. You know maybe I thought maybe he had deep line. <laughs> he did the original screw job with Hulk Hogan. Everybody thinks it was Brad. You know. Earl, Earl can, Earl's on the take, you know. Yes. <laughs> Earl Maybe on Earl, take like, Big Earl likes money and he likes beer, so you know. No, nice. I, I love Earl Hebner. Still friends with him to this day. Uh, him and Dave, uh, Dave worked behind the scenes. Uh, you know, great guys. Uh, great. Uh, much. It's just a bit Nick. for the show. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. Yeah, this match was really well done. Uh, the level the it was done in levels, you know, false finishes, all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, this was like the first of the WrestleMania trilogies and it was right there in uh, Philadelphia and they, they sent the, you know, the, the fans home, the fans yeah. from happy, you know, especially, you know, knocking out Vince and then go for another uh, round of, uh, of a beer bash and stuff like that. <laughs> What a, a great way to end a, a WrestleMania that had peaks and valleys. It had some hits. It had some misses. But this was like an awesome era for, you know, WWE. As much as, much as you know, there's stuff that left you scratching your head. WWE was good at, you know, having people talk, you know, about the product yeah. and stuff like that. And this is one of the most memorable, you know, WrestleManias. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, mainly because of this main event, Steve Austin and The Rock. Uh, two of the best of all time. How were how they as, as, as far as top guys in the locker room? Sometimes people get too big for their britches, but how are these guys in the locker room as far as top uh, guys? Uh, Rock and Austin were great. Uh, top guys, but very approachable. And and they're approachable in a way that, you know, when I would see somebody who was, you know, a big leaguer, I go, really? You know, <laughs> I've, I've shared locker rooms with Rock and Austin, and you're going to, you know, try to big league someone like that. You know, it's just like... Right. Really? All right. There's a Earl. big league than The Rock, who's got a, a television show right now, like you said. Yeah, and like you know, you can you know you could just go up and talk to him, and then and just be people. You know, me and Rock would talk about. Well, me and me and uh, Stone Cold had you know history going back to ECW for a little bit, and uh, you know for the short time I was you know we shared a locker room in ECW, but you know me and him could talk about heavy metal or whatever you know just. Cause you're on the road you're sharing, uh, you know, when you go overseas, you're sharing tour buses and stuff like that and sharing locker rooms and, you know, seven days a week, almost what it felt like, uh, good dudes, great guys. And, uh, you know, definitely earned their, earned their keep paid their dues. Right. right. Uh, I've always heard, let's, let's fast forward to after the show. Now I've always heard that there's like a post show party that Vince might throw somewhere. Was that, is that a thing that happened on this night? And not to, we don't want to obviously divulge any secrets from, yeah. you know, people doing things, but what was it like at these post WrestleMania parties? If you, if you went to that one on this night, what, imagine any, uh, wedding reception. <laughs> and that was basically that <laughs> you know, line at the cash bar. And, uh, you know, there, 
great catering, but you know, like there was always a WrestleMania post game, uh, well, po- yeah, after show, and the best way to describe it was like every, any you know, wedding reception you can imagine ever going to. Where was it at? Do you remember where it was in the city? Uh, it was at the this year was at the the, uh, the Double Tree, ah, okay, Center City, and that that was pretty much the TV hotel, the WrestleMania hotel, and stuff like that. So you had the Double Tree, uh, and it was in the big ballroom there, which. Like I said, I didn't get much of the perks of, you know, getting put up in a nice hotel because it was in my hometown. But, you know, I did go to the after party at the, uh, the hotel and I had a good time, you know. As you should. And it, was, it was cool to, you know, you see everybody who's uptight and stuff like that going into the thing, kind of let loose, having a couple uh, adult beverages and stuff like that. And good times. Good times. All right. Well, let's put a bow on this and get, get yeah. you out of here, Meanie. Uh, uh, just you guys for having me. Thank you. Yeah, thank you again. Thank you again for taking time out. But what do you, what just kind of take us back to what were your thoughts when you look back on this now, 21, 22 years later, right? 22 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah I just got real big there when I said that. But what, <laughs> what do you, what runs through your mind when you think about WrestleMania 15 as you sit here today, you know, in 2021? It was a, it was a milestone, you know. Uh, seems like everybody celebrates every five years, a uh, milestone every five years. And uh, I went to the first, couple WrestleManias at a closed circuit. I went to four and five in Atlantic city. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I'm on a WrestleMania and it's one, not only is a WrestleMania, but it's one of the first 20, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the first 15, you know, we're going up to WrestleMania 36 coming up here. And I was part of, you know, one of the first 20. So it's very storybook. You know, if you're going to do a, a story of, if I was to write a book of my life, don't move in my life. No, it's definitely uh, a storybook, you know, moment in my life. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, Meanie, oh, go ahead, Nick. No, we were doing, we started doing deep dives last summer. Hell, we might deep dive into WrestleMania 4 and 5, have you back on uh, at some point, because we would love to hear how you viewed things as a fan in attendance. Oh, absolutely. So definitely would love that in the future. Right. Yeah. yeah, so again, thanks again for joining us, Meanie. Uh, if you want to plug... Uh, the pod again, or if you, I don't know if you got making any appearances anytime soon, feel free to plug away and tell people where they can find you. Hey man, uh, like I said, mine of the mini drops every Monday morning, 6 a.m. wherever you get your favorite podcast. Uh, if you want to watch the video version, go to fighttv.com uh, and watch mine of the mini every Monday night. If you can't get to fight TV, go to youtube.com slash mine of the mini where we re-broadcast the video version of Mind of the Meanie, but we also have a lot of great stuff on there like Mrs. Meanie Run-Ins and uh, other specials we've done. We've done Meanie Tunes. If you want to support the Blue Meanie, go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Blue Meanie. You can get yourself a BWO shirt. Uh, go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Mind of the Meanie, and you can buy several of our uh, Mind of the Meanie shirts, and all that money goes back into the pod if you want to uh, – Hey, I'm one of the many people on Cameo. Go to Cameo.com slash Blue Meanie BWO. Uh, I can wish you a happy birthday, anniversary, divorce, whatever. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, visit me over there. But again, uh, guys, thanks again for having me. This has been a blast. Uh, you know, uh, jarring some memories, so to speak, and uh, talking about WrestleMania 15. All right. Well, thanks again, Nick. It's about that time to wrap it up. So take us out with some plugs. Always appreciate having you on. We uh, Thank you. Uh, you can follow us at Shooters Radio on Twitter. Follow me at Nick Bacone on Twitter. And you can follow my writing and sports at phillyinfluencer.com and phillyvoice.com. 
And I am at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter. You can, if you can't find me on there, you'll probably find me out here in, this street, in these streets. Uh, <laughs> I just got my second shot yesterday. So Congrats. I might, thank you. I might be out here in the streets a little bit more now, you know, since we, you know, fully vaccinated. At least we're, I, I got mine two days. So there you go. So getting us, getting these shots in these arms right now out here in these streets. So, uh, getting back out here a little bit more, but you can find my writing at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And of course we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash you radio. Subscribe to some exclusive content for the nominal fee. Uh, was it two bucks now? Was it $2? Two dollars? Two bucks. Yeah. We went up one two cent. Bucks. It's not one ninety nine right. anymore. It's, Two two $2 flat. Flat $2. You know what I'm saying? You, can, you can't get a lot of things for $2, but you can, you can get our exclusive content for $2. So go check us out. Patreon.com slash Shooters Radio. So for the Blue Meanie and Nick Picone, I am Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening to episode 278 of The Straight Shooters, and we'll catch y'all again next week. Peace.